And just waiting for more guys to, you know, come back in. I only started a few minutes ago. So you, you guys know usually Steph just cartwheels in slowly when I start these.
Uh, we'll just wait a few more minutes. Okay, there's a bunch of people finally. So uh, for those that don't know, um, I do this like once a month or sometimes twice a month uh, for a couple hours on Twitter. And obviously we just talk about um, any current mods or even, you know, retro game new stuff that pops up. Because, you know, not, not everybody can catch the latest and greatest news and stuff. Oh, Dubes, did you um, put out the video about the uh, new N64 um, controller board? Oh, wait, I thought I gave you speak there. I did um, today. 
Okay, so I, I know the kit comes with. I think the kit comes with a thumbstick. Uh, well, so, I, I misspoke in the beginning of my video, and I just didn't bother to edit it. It's optional. You can buy it without it. So is the replacement one? How am I going to word? So is the replacement thumbstick actually just as good as the OEM one, or not really? No, it's just a GameCube style stick. So if you've used anyone or or heard any reviews of any other GameCube style stick, then it's like that. Well, I, I, okay. I haven't used any of the other GameCube style ones, so I don't really know. But one, the gate shape is not the same. Um, and I guess if you're familiar with an N64 stick, if like if you have muscle memory at all for that stick, then it's not going to be the same. So uh, I wouldn't really fault the stick for that, but it's like, you know, that's part of not, me not liking it um but the, the sick part is you can just put a stock stick in it and then it's fine it's it's similar like i still well i don't know see this is why i think there's still still is more testing that i could do or people could do um because i compared it to an oem stick that i had but a different stick than the stick than the stock stick that I put in there um so like if the sticks even if you had two oem sticks like if the sticks are worn differently that's gonna affect it so um, but the cool, what I think is cool because the Apido PCB accepts a stock stick, then if there are any mods that make better stock sticks or whatever, then you, it works with it. So I think that that's going to be a really cool thing for, uh, people. So I know like the kitsch bent stuff is out there. Um, and there was this other, I don't remember the name of the discord that someone recommended me join, but there's other, just a whole bunch of sticks and stuff and like gears and and bowls and stuff so definitely i i think i would like to i know kitsch bent is like one that i don't know if it's like the best but it's a good one that i've heard of a few times and like you can lube the sticks and stuff too so i might mess with that because i have some super clapped out n64 sticks like so i have some parts but i don't know what parts wear out like i really don't know that much about n64 stick stuff so um but Yes, same. Yeah, I mean that's why I was I, I, like I, I didn't know if you had a wide, robust knowledge on. It. I know some replacements are dodgy. Yeah, I, like that's why I I kind of limited it to uh, comparing it with the stock stick that I had and the NSO controller. So it was really kind of like an NSO versus that um, thing, and it it took me so long, even though it was only a couple of days. Like I can only work on this stuff a, a couple of hours a day it took me so long to do that stuff. Like conversations were happening on uh, like rocker gaming was investigating it and stuff. And like uh, he, he had just did like a little mini review of the actual GameCube stick itself, not the PCB. So he was just putting the hall effect GameCube stick from Ape Doe into a stock controller. Um, so that's when I was like, Oh fuck, that means that a stock stick will work with the Ape Doe controller. So um that's when the light bulb went off and I had to include that at the end of mine. So I think that's the real, real cool thing. But unfortunately it doesn't save you if your sticks are busted or whatever, like there's still not a good replacement. Well, I, I think that there probably are products out there that might help you get near stock. Uh, but there's not like an off the shelf unscrew your controller, put this whole new module in and it's, it's perfect again. Like I think there's still, that's still a thing. 
with that being said, though, I do kind of feel like you may be able to, if you don't absolutely hate GameCube style sticks, I think that you probably could tweak uh, the blue retro firmware to make it less sensitive. And like, if, if that's possible to make it just a little bit less sensitive, I think it would be fine for most. Well, so the other thing I noticed, and I don't know if this is not necessarily like a sensitivity thing. Cause the, the most egregious thing is like, if you're playing an FPS game or something with normal N64 sticks and usually ones that are slightly worn out, you can pretty much play to the whole throw of the stick, right? If you're like moving around, you pretty much just bang it from side to side. I don't, I don't, typically like you know stay on the inside of the stick if that if if you can <laughs> visualize the stick i guess like i just whack that thing back and forth uh, you know from side to side and if you try to do that with the news or these one of these gamecube sticks it's way more sensitive and you can you can see like a, a skip like you, you I, I don't know it's like you whip around way faster than the normal than my normal muscle memory expects it to, ha- to that to happen if that makes any sense so but I don't know if there's a way to be like, okay, you know, you can um, mitigate some of that with Blue Retro itself, because in the end, that's really what's sending this ultimate signal to the N64. But there's still, I think there is another issue, which is not new to GameCube style sticks, where it's sort of locked into 45 degree angles. So I tried to play Mario 64 with the GameCube stick. And I like barely couldn't, I couldn't get across the bridge in the first level. Like, you know, there's a stupid little bridge that you go across. I kept fucking falling off. I'm like, what the hell? And, and I don't know if it's just something to do with, I don't think that's a blue retro issue because blue retro works with NSO controller and, and that was fine. And then the stock stick with the blue, with the Apito controller was fine. So as far as I'm concerned, those yeah, those are similar. Sound like a as far as I'm concerned, those those are similar feel. Like if you have an NSO controller, I wouldn't necessarily run out and get one of those Abido things. But if you really want to mess around with aftermarket things, because I think Rocker Gaming mentioned that the NSO stick is is different. Like it's not compatible, like backwards compatible with the stock stick. Um, but there are so many aftermarket things out there for people to try for the stock stick. So I don't know. Basically I'm saying, I don't know if all, I don't know if the GameCube stick will ever be fine. And, and I like, I, I say that as like a super casual, but like if I hate it, then probably most people will hate it. I don't know. Unless you really don't see it or I guess if it's an RPG or something, it probably doesn't matter, but it, it also affects the menu. I didn't even mention this in the video, but like I use my EverDrive for everything. Or even if in if like the perfect dark menu in the beginning, I noticed for some reason that it will go like if you're going up and down one like one menu item at a time, the GameCube stick might skip like two. Like it's just weird. It's just not like I, I don't know what what that means, but yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound like a blue retro problem. That no, sounds I mean, like the a... NFL controller goes goes through it too. So yeah. Because what I thought of doing was buying like a semi-busted N64 controller. And by busted, I mean, you know, the stick is jacked up and then just getting that kit. But now that you're saying that, I'm like, uh, maybe that's not the way to go. <laughs> I mean, I think if you don't have NSO controllers, I, and well, and you want, if, if you like wireless, like I really like 
for me, I think wireless is good for just where I am in my life. And like, if I was going to have a permanent collection, I would probably like only wireless stuff. But um, like, if you don't care about that, then just like, oh, you're just talking about just the GameCube stick, you mean, versus the PCB, the uh, wireless PCB. I also have to mention, and I haven't really met every N64 enthusiast, but the N64 stick the, like controller community is like the least toxic like community that I've met. It's like I don't know. It's so far it's been great. Like I expected people to fucking roast me. Like why didn't you just this? I mean, some people did, but not in like I didn't feel the vibe like them being pissed off. But like people legitimately have a lot of questions about stuff. Like does like how does Rumble work and like stuff I didn't te- like. I could have gone on and on forever. Um, testing things i suppose that people just recommended what they wanted me to test but or like specific games people were having oh that's the other thing um i have a feeling and uh no i mean darth darth cloud's kind of a busy he's darth cloud's moving and somebody was having an issue i guess i guess they have four of those um retro time uh blue retro receivers and they said that two of them work fine and two of them have just wonky issues like sometimes it's like the a and b buttons are swapped or like z stops working or something so i have a feeling that there's a newer uh blue retro firmware that's broken or something it's it's and it's shipping with um some uh adapters so i don't like somebody mentioned that they they downgraded the firmware and it fixed it so and unfortunately darth cloud is is moving and you can't um he can't really look into it for like the whole summer. He said, so I don't know. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, it does kind of, but and I, I understand. Cause the idea in my mind was buy, buy a busted N64 controller, buy an ESP 32 dev board and flash it with blue retro, pull the cable out of, cause I know you pull the cable out for that, uh, kit like you pull the actual N64 cable that would connect into the console. Yeah, it's the whole and the just, whole PCB is gone, pretty much the stock PCB. Yeah, and then just literally plug that into the ESP32 dev board, and I have a blue retro. I mean, I don't care about it being not pretty personally. Like, I just it's for like it's it's for me. Like, you know, I I wouldn't like sell that to someone. It would just be like, oh, look, it works. Now I have something. You mean like you want to make an N64 Bluetooth controller? Well, I mean, all I would do is just get an ESP32 dev board, and then the, the cable that you pull out of the N64 controller, you just use that cable with it. it, it I mean, it's just like a long... The, the only difference is like it's a long cable, and then the ESP32 board isn't covered, but the ESP32 is like $7 board. You know, you can just solder a few wires and it should work. Basically, basically, you spend like 40 plus bucks on that board and then you get like a $7 dev board, flash it, solder a few wires yeah, to yeah, it, and I'm pretty sure yeah. it should work. Oh, yeah. It yeah, like, it's so cheaper DIY than buying receiver, a $25. DIY the receiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that's – and and the uh, – just the PCB is 30 too. So if you if you have a good N sixty four controller, thirty bucks isn't bad, especially if you already have the. Uh, well, that's you know, it's kind of fucked because you know if you 
if you don't have a good controller, I would probably just buy the NSO controller and a, and a re- and then DIY your own receiver. But if you do have a good controller, then the the Apido PCB is cheaper. So, um, but you know, if you don't have a good N sixty four controller, then you know, I don't know how much that is twenty, thirty, fifty bucks. I don't like. I don't know if people are going. Those are going for these days. Actually, I think the Retro Fighter controller is cheaper than both of those. So that, that's the other I thing I didn't compare it to. But I have, I have the original. Oh no! I, yeah, I have the first run of the wireless Retro Fighters ones, and I literally don't use that because the gate is weird. The gate looks weird. Um, so that that's something I probably could. I don't have. like it. Well, I just I don't like the shape of the controller either. I mean, like, no offense to them, like. I like stock uh, looking stuff. Like even if it sucks, like N64 stock is like, what the hell? But you know, that's just what I remember. And I like, I like to play. No, that. it's, it's the travel on the analog stick. The travel is way off. And I don't like, I just don't like the tactile feedback of the analog stick on the, um, on that newer N64 controller. It's great. I'm sure it's great for the, what is it? Killer instinct. Gold 2 or Mortal Kombat or something like that. Great for the couple of fighting games that are on there, but I, I can't run through any kind of platformer with that controller. I can't. Yeah. Well, like like I said, that Mario test is what really was weird. Like, I didn't... I, I, I vaguely remember it being like that, but I don't know what would cause that. Like, if you look at... So I ran... I don't really know what, what quote-unquote, the best, like, stick... Because there's those stick... I don't know what you call it, like uh, endpoint tests or something that like spits out basically what the N64 registers from your controller and it gives you that octagon shape. Like if you look at my video, like toward the middle or whatever, they're not really that much different across all of them. I tested a stock stick. I tested uh, the GameCube stick. I tested... um, well, they all they all don't they all decode with the with the, don't they all have eight bits of resolution? So in, so in other words, if you move one stick all the way to the left and you move the same stick all the way to the right, you have two hundred and fifty six locations of resolution uh, on the horizontal and vertical axis. I think they're all eight bit. I think they all have an eight bit depth uh, movement resolution, don't they? The N sixty four, the game. The weird thing like, is that. Even this, even that app only goes to like eighty four. Like it tells you what a quote, like a stock, like a a new stock controller is, and it's eighty four. So it's it must have its own huh. dead zone. Maybe it, I don't know how it compensates for something. But all three of the controllers I tested were similar. Like the shapes, I mean, maybe and sometimes like a worn out controller is looks worse than like the GameCube style stick does. I don't know how much I can trust those. Like it's just a, it's just a, a visual of, I don't know, and that's why I, I had to play a couple of games and do it that way because it's like it doesn't tell me anything really other than, huh, this is interesting. And maybe it was in the past, way in the past, it might have been because if you look, I think this one is by like Sani or whatever is it's an old uh, ROM and it was in the Smoke Monsters ROM pack that I had for a long time. Um, it gives you like examples of, of outputs of some things. And you can see some of the old, I don't know how old these replacement sticks were, but some of them are like square. They're not even octagon shaped. It's like, so I could think in the past, it was probably good for like smell testing. If this is a garbage stick or not, but now like all three of the controllers I 
tested were, were, you know, within five or six points. But so like that doesn't help me because the game two one is clearly different and it, it feels different. So I don't know. You know, this reminds me of the legendary modder Draken, who always said that he never used a multimeter because he designed and he put his con- his electronics together by feel. And I feel that's exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, I, honestly, we're talking somebody, about somebody needs to. It's like I don't understand. Well, I understand that they probably had a had a budget or a time constraint. I mean, I'm saying Apito in this case for the GameCube stick, but like, I don't know. They couldn't talk to a single. And I'm not shitting on them. Like I think they they did their best, but like for it's twenty dollars just for that module, so it's not like it's nothing. But did they just not play it with it? Like I, I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is twenty dollars, twenty bucks is twenty bucks. But nonetheless, they had to have they had to have exercised that thing and realized that maybe it wasn't the greatest thing to ship, you know. But maybe you know you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube, so ship it anyways. Unfortunately, that seems to be the MO for a lot of companies these days. Well, what's interesting is they, I think, when Rocker took it apart, I think they used the Gilly Kit or whatever that brand is, the new brand that has all these um, Hall Effect sensors. I think that's what's in it. So it's like they obviously had to get those, which is relatively new because all those switch fixer-up things, you know, like they had to use that and then they had to figure out how to make it work. So like... I don't know. So they don't use they don't use uh, well traditionally they use all those analog sticks use carbon film right so they that's actually kind of a really high end um, that's that would be a really high end analog stick if they're using uh, uh, Hall effect sensors to uh, to do all that that would be that's Especially actually pretty because good because it's nothing well okay I think there is a, mic, a microprocessor in there because it's compatible with the stock stick. And the stock stick is an optical switch, so like, how the hell is that even a thing? Like, they must be doing something to massage the output. But I can't believe that just the shape of the gate alone would cause all those issues. Like, I, it, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. And then compared to a stock stick, it's like, uh, I don't know. Not, not sure. It's geometry, I, man. It's just <laughs> geometry. I don't I, know. I have a master's, okay? I'm not good at math. See, that's the sad thing, though, is you could throw, like, a 12-bit uh, ADC on that and add some basic input shaping to the output and really get it a lot closer if you wanted to. Well, I, I honestly think that it's probably <laughs> more worth to do it in the Blue Retro end if it's possible because I'm sure there's a bunch of those style of sticks, and if you can have, like, a... Like, okay, here's the N64 dongle that I'm going to dedicate only for GameCube because it's a little obnoxious to, um, in our, there is a nice web, well, I guess it's Bluetooth interface that you can get sometimes working on your phone. So you can, you can Bluetooth into the adapter and then there's some settings you can change. You can map buttons and you can mess with the save files and everything. So I have a feeling that you could do something with it. Maybe you can just narrow the, the out, I don't know, like, but then it would work on any controller like that. It's like, you don't mess with you know, the ins- I don't know. I'm not sure. That would be a lot nicer. Doing it strictly on the blue retro side, you would, you know, lose resolution because at that point, it's already, already truncated. But, um, but honestly, like, that's what you need. It feels <laughs> like it feels like the, 
the GameCube stick is like, wow, this is hyperspeed. It's like <laughs> messing with the N64. It's so it's so uh, sensitive versus the stock stick. It's like I'm moving through, I don't I've, know, molasses or something. I think this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work to put in a shitty system. I'm just telling you. You guys just need to let it die. <laughs> just let it die. Please, for my sake, let it go. Oh, gosh. Speaking of N64, there was another crazy N64 thing shared. Oh, yes. It looks terrible. Yeah, yeah it's it's awful. Oh, the $200, $35 thing. <laughs> Those went from $35 to like 200 very fast. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's effectively the same. It's, a, it's effectively the same pipeline as what we've seen which you know in fairness okay so just to preface that the or to qualify this the price point for the gba kits that have the board that you install into like the 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 game boy advance that gives you um 480p output over hdmi those things are relatively inexpensive and that's great but basically, from what my understanding is, after talking to a couple of people, they've ported that over for the N64. They've added some new features, and they're going to try to sell it at a price point that exceeds, you know, high designer end kits like the uh, Pixel FX's N64 Digital, which, which I think is nuts. I think you're just you're crazy. But yeah, I, I just think that, ugh, yeah, I hate the I, N64. Uh, I started making a video on that Intech uh, GBA. Well, that's the same company that made the um, the Warrior. So you're telling me yeah. they they ripped out the Warrior stuff or they're redoing their Warrior? That's interesting. Hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Which was already terrible. And if you look at this, if you look at the screenshots that they provided, which it's so interesting. I don't yeah, know if I it's know because any it, screenshots but, with that. Well, I think it's because what they wanted to show was, you know, 3D graphics hide a lot of, like, fidelity and resolution. And I think the idea was if they showed sharp, 90-degree, hard Luma-edged pixels, it would be a better representation of the, uh, the, the visual improvements when the fact of the matter is both, both look terrible. I mean, they look horrible. Uh, and... and I don't know, man. It's just like, God, Jesus Christ, go just enough of this madness. Enough of the Nintendo 64. Gamebox has already made a really good one, like that's affordable. Like, I, I don't know. It, it seems incredibly out of touch to me. Yeah, I don't... Uh... Hey, let me ask you. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something, dudes. Did you ever figure out what was going on with that Game Gear HD thing that you kind of got disheartened with? Did you figure out? Did did you stiffen up the clock line or anything like that? Like I like we were talking about. I'm really tired, so excuse my <laughs> mumbling. But were you able to resolve any of those graphical uh, uh, distortions? So I I did, but I'm not. Uh, you know, I was not satisfied. I was satisfied enough to just send the video. Like I just had to be done with it. Not not in a bad way. I I really enjoy um, Postman and and Gamebox and stuff, but. He, uh, the first thing that he asked me to try was, um, just to make the clock lines longer an inch at a time. So I made him longer an inch at a time until he, up to this eight inches. So I had this eight, eight inch clock line in, in there. I mean, it, and that fixed, uh, not only did it fix the, the, um, 
because there was two issues. One of them was the the flickering like lines going across the screen. But the other one was it sometimes just wouldn't boot like it wouldn't get through the whole process and you'd have this rainbow screen uh, and that fixed both things. So I don't know. Um, and then it was just a mixture of information that I kind of collected like um, math or uh, SYF mentioned that it happens with certain like McWill screens for the Game Gear that that similar See- happens. I think the solution is, and I talked to Gamebox about this with some data. I think the solution to that problem is to let the the let the Game Gear HD mod let it clock in the Game Gear hardware and let it drive the clock to the Game Gear. That way, you have a good reference that's not getting murked up or muddled up on the uh, those old crappy Game Gear mainboards. I think that's the better. I think that's the better solution going forward. I ultimately, I think that any, especially with any consoles like the N64, the PlayStation, that have free running syncs, everyone seems to just they want to source the clock from the system. And I think that you know, back in my day when I took a digital signal processing class in 1976, uh, I think that really, if you're going to if you're going if you're going to supplant a piece of hardware with another piece of hardware, let the newer piece of hardware drive and create all of these clocks if you need to divide something down do it from do it from that nice fpga that has all the resources and facilities to do that um i was just wondering if i was just wondering if if you had any improvements because i i haven't heard anything about the game gear hd consoleizer mod uh really since your since your video and i didn't i didn't know what was going on well i had i talked with syf and he actually sent me um, a two, I think, I guess it was a two ASIC board, so like a replacement board for that um, that Game Gear that I was working on, and I was planning to to replace it, like swap the ASICs over and everything, but it it, it sort of solved itself with that. But I, I don't know, there was a couple of other people that had other issues or similar issues, and like I would have to go into the back into the Discord their their Discord because there were some people that were, yeah, you know, I. I don't know. Like, I don't, some part of me thinks that maybe it's just, I don't know, but maybe, maybe the solution is just an all in one thing. Like, um, Oleg Endo has the, the screen replacement for the, uh, what is that? Um, the Sega game gear or yeah, the Genesis handheld thing. Um, like it's a complete replacement. Oh, the Nomad, the Nomad. Yeah. So maybe that would probably be a, a, the best way is just literally, here you go, here's your entire Game Gear. Because it's not really that difficult to open that up and swap the whole thing out. And then you, I, I, it probably would be expensive, you know, $100 or something, $150 or for a kit. Uh, but way easier yeah, yeah. for just yep. a normal person to do. Uh, you know, there's no desoldering a screen. There's no soldering to castellated edges or anything. Like, even if it costs $200, if it's a rock-solid Game Gear, then... I don't know. Maybe that would be the way to go. But, but there's other things like Ben Ben's new screen. Ben Ben has a new. It's ironically also called the GGHD, uh, but it's a replacement screen that uses the uh, Tang Nano 9K, and then it uh, you can get a little like uh, a little. I don't know. I guess it's just an HDMI extension, but it's because there's not a lot of real estate inside of the game gear after you have a, a PCB in there, it goes to where the extension port is. But so it like flattens out the cable and it runs a little shielded 
flex cable up to the port. So that's like first you get the the replacement IPS screen, so it looks good, and then you also can get HDMI output all in one. So that's like the new hotness that's shipping right now. So like I'm kind of waiting for that because I think that would be a better thing, especially for a game year. Well, I say that because I built eight trillion consoleizers. I shouldn't really talk, but um, the option to both one use it with a really nice screen so have an updated screen to be able to use it as a consoleizer and i guess to be uh use the game gear itself as the controller so that's kind of a cool thing i don't know yeah you know that's what i always wanted to see with the game boy advance i always wanted to see a consoleizer kit that would allow the game boy to maintain it the game especially the gba001 the, the the original front or not, not front lit, the no lit screen. That there was a kit that would allow it to maintain its portability, and it looks, you know, and operate just the same as it always has. But kind of like the Switch or like the PSP Go, you could fit it into a dock. Like let's say you put like a USB C port or something on the bottom of the Game Boy uh, housing, and you could you could dock your Game Boy Advance and have it work, you know, consoleized. But what's remarkable to me though. As we're talking about all these internal, usually you know, digital, dig, digital to digital mods, and it's just interesting not to talk crap. Well, I guess it is to talk crap. It's remarkable that these things cost; they're relatively inexpensive when you think about how much this new, uh, this new YPBR, this YPBPR uh, component to HDMI transcoder is uh, coming out for the Xbox. That's like two hundred dollars because it has. It has like a three-port fast Ethernet switch on it. I'm sorry, boys. I'm getting I'm getting KO'd over here. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone was dunking on that. I mean, all right. We're we're already in the realm of products for people that already have too much money, right? So, I really can't knock them for the price because they obviously did some i don't know number crunching and like maybe this is the price point that they needed to sell it at or uh i get that they're going for the, like this is the land thing but like i think we're losing you if Dude, you're doing you know, a we're losing then you've you. got three other xbox you've got huh can you hear me or is it just me is it just me can you hear me okay now I, um maybe Talk again with that sweet, sultry voice. Hello. Hello. Testing. Okay. That seems to be, that appears to be better. That appears to be better. Okay. Well, so I, I, you know, they're going for the, this is for your landing thing, but then you've got three other Xboxes that don't have HDMI ports. Like why? Like, okay. Maybe they're setting it up to be like, okay, here's the, here's the one that you get for your events. I mean, it, I think, if you are a fighting an Xbox original Xbox specific fighting game community, I think it's fine. Like spend the spend the money. I guess if this is like an all like this is it's very compact. You don't need uh, an HDMI splitter, so that means you know you don't need extra gear. You really just need two monitors and this thing and two HDMI cords, and you can have your fighting tournament. Like if it's not for capturing. I guess I kind of understand because then you could have people back to back, like two screens kind of back to back so people can have space to play. That is like the only world where it makes sense. But then 
you put the ethernet ports on there that's where it's like i don't uh, i guess i well i think i know why they did that was because they needed to use the ethernet jack for support anyways so like you might as well throw extra ethernet ports on there and it doesn't really matter if they're past the ethernet because whatever so i don't, like, I, I don't, I don't I think that's that. why they did it I don't think that's yeah. why they did it at all. I think they just added the Ethernet, that shitty Ethernet switch on there so they could justify the extra $8,000 price hike. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I just think that I think that in 2023, it's outrageous that a, that a component to HDMI transcoder stuffed in a little box is $200. That's just out – that's outrageous. That is just – that is grifting at its finest. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, I speak from personal experience. If you ever saw those tweets that I made where I broke down and cut open the Super 64, by the way, that is Eon's N64 answer, as it's an S-video to HDMI conversion apparatus. If you looked at the build quality of that thing, again, at a price point of around $150 or $160, I'm terrified to tear open this $200 uh you know, otherwise probably port a cable uh, component HDMI converter that they that they've stuffed a switch into. I mean, I think it's crazy. I just think that it's absolutely just divorced of 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 any goodwill or nature to the community. That that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, especially since any any fighting game community like they can't pitch in and mod one Xbox and then buy an HDMI splitter. Like, I don't know that, that you're right. It's kind of, bon- but it, it doesn't make any sense. It makes it's, absolutely it's sort of no made sense. Me scratch my head. When you said that, that N64 thing, like how much was that N64 one? A hundred and something. If it, was it was $159 or 150 bucks. No, that's, that's the thing. That's if, if, if the price was commensurate, if the price was commensurate to sort of the product itself, in other words, if that, if if the Xbox thing was like eighty dollars or something, or if the if the uh, Super sixty four was you know around the seventy dollar price point, eighty dollar maybe, you know that's one thing to be critical of that. But the fact that they're charging what they're charging because I think they're just trying to take advantage and leverage themselves in a very niche little community because they can. I just think that's gross. And the fact that if the 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 inside of that Super sixty four. If that is not a reflection of how little they regard or they care, a about the quality the the, pro- the quality of products in this community, b this community, or c making good products. Period. I mean, it's just a reflection of themselves. And I uh, I will always always make an and the uh, another thing when you bring this stuff up to them, they ghost you. Eon will ghost you. As polite as you can be and as cordial as you can be, it's irrelevant. And they just will not talk to you if you have anything negative to say. The Retro Roundtable, we all did a review of the GameCube Mark II. We all had criticisms on this product, and because of our criticisms, they stopped talking to all of us almost instantaneously. I don't mean to keep going on about this. There's plenty of other things you guys want to talk about. I'm just saying. Well, you it's know bullshit. Is you mentioned that thing about the Retro Magazine or whatever the heck? Um... They oh yeah, retro gamer. Yeah, like, you know what's interesting is what I don't know how big of a publication this. I, I'm not trying to shit. Like I don't really don't know anything about this magazine. It sounds kind of cool actually because I remember like Electronic Gaming Monthly and stuff like that was really cool. But you would think that there would be. Uh, that's what kind of makes me 
scratch my head about just retro the retro community in general i mean i, I know a lot of people are, are focused on like i guess a lot of people uh, like me and whatever you just youtubers i guess in general like i just want like it just doesn't feel that official to me it just feels sort of like uh, like fly by wire like uh okay you know what what can i what kind of a video can i make that can get a lot of views that, that's just me talking for myself not really anybody else but it would be really cool if there was a magazine like that. Like, why are they not covering mods and stuff? Even easy ones. Even, I don't know. Well, I've talked to the game. editor about that. I'm, I'm talking to the editor about that right now. And I've extended my love to him. Uh, because I would really like... The fact of the matter is, it's a huge publication. Uh, that magazine has a ton of subscribers. And I would like to see them reach out and solicit the service of not me, but other people who I don't want to say are authorities, but who are well established and are well thoroughly trusted in this community to lead them in the right direction so that they, the retro gamer, don't inadvertently lead their very loyal subscribers to a pile of shit products. And I think that that's education is key here. Uh, fundamentally, it's why I do everything that I do. It's just to impart knowledge on people. And hopefully, you know, those people will listen and other people, people who read that magazine, in other words, will be able to make good informed decisions. And, and, and it's almost, it's like the, if you think about it, it's literally the perfect thing and I, and I know it's written is it i don't know if they have a digit do they have a digital copy of it or is it only they do uh, sure print? no sure they do but yeah they do that is bonkers to me i think that most people that are listening i i i just know for me i was subscribed to electronic gaming monthly um oh shit what was the other one game game pro no i don't i don't remember what the other magazine was but like how how sick would that be in 2023 to actually subscribe to a magazine and look forward to it every month and find articles from developers or maybe not even that deep, but like, you know, here's some basics. Like maybe this is what Mr. is all about. Here's how you get interested in this. Like maybe they've covered that already in their magazine, but like I haven't heard of that. And if that's true, that would be why not? That's literally money that's just gone. Just not, they're not making. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to have like an area on the internet or in a publication where people are going to have access to information like that for Literally video games, retro gaming or whatever it's called, like <laughs> yeah, Retro Gamer Magazine would be the, would be the mecca. It would be the it, it should be the epicenter for this sort of information. And I think it's a really good opportunity for them. And I hope that we have. I hope I have a good conversation with them in the next few days. You know, I hope so. But you, you never can tell. Yeah, uh, that's man. I never even thought of that until right now. I, I miss. Uh, I mean, looking back at it now, I'm not. I don't. You know, I got rid of all those magazines, and I'm sure some people collect them, but I don't know how actual quality the <laughs> the articles are. It's but. tremendously good. It's the best public. It's one of the. It is as far as video games are concerned. It is the best publication I've ever read or subscribed to, and I have been subscribed to it since 2004. I've never missed an issue. It's really good. It's it's now the the thing about retro gamer is it really has a focus on, you know, it's about nostalgia, but it's really about nostalgia in the eighties in Britain, in the UK, in Europe, 
because it's a lot about Commodore 64, it's a lot about Amiga, it's a lot about those games over there across the pond uh, that were popular. Because, you know, we had Sega and Atari and Nintendo in the States. Uh, Europe had that too, but primarily their video game consoles of the 1980s and 90s were 8-bit computers and 16-bit computers, like the Amiga and the Commodore 64. So there's a lot more focus on that. But nonetheless, it's 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 very well written, and it's very well... Um, it's just a very well executed magazine. Is you that check where, it out. Is that where it's written from? Is it a UK it, yep. specific? Oh, okay. That's right. Yep, that's right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, that alone. I mean, to maintain a magazine, I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not that's not easy. Like. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. And, you know, me and me and Retro RGB had this conversation earlier this afternoon because I was I was a little well, I was a little frustrated for a number of reasons. But I hate. We'll just talk about the Xbox and the analog solutions real quick. I'll just talk about this very quickly. There are not a plethora, but there are a few very good analog to digital solutions for the xbox you've got the chimera now that's very hard to get and those things aren't um easily accessible anymore uh, they're not they're just not very uh, they're not so much available anymore i don't suppose but that's a very good component to digital hdmi converter you've got electron shepherds xbox to hdmi it is like $35 or $40, and it has a great DAC on there. It does a phenomenal job at converting the component video over to, uh, to the digital domain. Retro Gamer chooses, and this is just business, they opt to endorse effectively and solicit the, the, you know, a company that they know nothing about. They've not even reviewed the product. And people, because of the good word of Retro Gamer, are immediately going to cling to that because either there's some sort of financial incentive or someone's paid for advertising. I get that, and you know, and and that makes sense. That's business. Well, if that's I just then then they're well, okay, they're from the UK. But if this was the United States, that's breaking a law. Like you need to be, you need to say that this is an advertisement. Well, there's yeah, there's you know, you've got FTC laws on that, right, Uh, over here. But my point is, is what I want to do is I want to focus on the reason I reached out to him and I said I was disappointed to see that um, is because I would like to see these underdogs, not even underdogs. I just want to see the people in this community who make really good stuff, really good stuff. I want to see them be rewarded for it. And I don't want to see the people who just because they have some they, because they have deeper pockets and larger buckets of money to throw around to get advertising. I don't want to see them to automatically win out. Uh, just because of money. So I talked to Bob about that. I'm like, one of my things that I'm going to work on is I'm going to talk more and foster more relationships with all sorts of people just so that I can maybe hopefully educate them on the other things that are out there that are more than likely substantially better and substantially less expensive than this grifter-ass uh, you know, a puff piece here that's that, that's being sent to you on a silver platter that's really not that good. I know that sounds harsh. Maybe some people like those products, but I'm not into that. I just want to see people get a good value, and I feel like a lot of the times people are being taken advantage of, and that's just how I feel. Well, okay. Uh, I'll uh, – this isn't devil's advocate, but I think 
I think that we need more, more uh, independent people. Review. I mean, I, it's so hard because I know this is a niche within a niche. Like it's very, like it's hard to just for me to even do it. And I've been, you know, I've been thinking about it for years now. Just in being in retro and just being on Twitter and stuff. Like I know it's kind of difficult to introduce people, but the the what I don't like the most i think about retro the retro community is it doesn't have the same feel as like the pc uh like pc i don't know youtubers i suppose i I don't know the best way to describe that but like if you know anything about like you know linus tech tips and like paul's hardware like there's a very big community and it seems like everybody who as far as um uh what's the word as far as like uh journalism i suppose right it's very very alive right people are pretty polite with each other and uh it almost you know people have each other's backs and like if they're if you're a bigger youtube channel and like you notice that a smaller channel like something is happening where they're getting you know maybe there's an issue with the the uh the uh, company that gave them product like that's happening right now you know it happens all the time but like, I guess long story short, I think we do need more people, right, to look into these things. And I guess one of the, the biggest downsides to just saying, hey, you know, this product, and I'm not saying it's, it's you specifically or anybody, um, but like the, the you almost, you poison a, a thing, like you, you almost, you kill it in everybody's minds, even people that should use it and compare it to other things i'm not talking about like consumers i'm just talking about like journalist people if if someone like it you or bob or something says this is absolute shit no one ever buy this you know you should not buy this garbage and maybe you give some some uh you know this that and the other reason whatever then it's almost like i don't want you know i don't want anything to do with it um I don't want to buy one. I don't want to even see if it compares to anything. And, and, and I hope you see where I'm going with that. It's I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be like, you know, the more information that is out there and probably in the form of video comparison side by side, I, I think that will do enough damage to make those things, uh, not, you know, people not want those things. I, I hope that made sense. It's kind of a rant, but that's stuff I've been thinking a lot about. Um, well, you know, yeah. fortunately, that's that's you know, and just as an example of that happening, that happened today. That's exactly what Bob does. I don't know if anyone caught the live stream that Bob did this afternoon, but he tested a couple of different Xbox OG Xbox um, component to HDMI converters, and the Behar Brothers Xbox um, converter. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. He tested that today, and it was terrible. I'm sorry. It was horrible. And, you know, the, 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 the unit itself, uh, the parts were um, – all the part numbers were all scraped off. But I can yep, tell – Yeah, did that on purpose I, to prevent cloning. Certainly, certainly. And that's fine. And, and not, I'm not saying anything bad about that. But all the part numbers were, were um, scraped off. And I was looking at it through the stream, and I'm like, well, you know, there's an oscillator there that operates at 24 megahertz, 24.56, 7,000 megahertz. And I was able to just, you know, to see what 
you know, analog device, analog devices can be driven by that clock. And sure enough, uh, they were using a, uh, I was able to derive that they were using a very low cost, um, analog devices, uh, video transcoder or, uh, uh, video, uh, decoder forward slash transcoder, uh, to, uh, to transcode the, and the component video as well as the audio, uh, into uh, a digital domain, into a digital source. But the problem is, is the the way that it, the one that they were using was only good for bandwidth up to 16 megahertz, or in other words, it was only good for video bandwidth up to 480p. When Bob would blast that thing in the 720 or 1080i, it would look horrible. And unfortunately, you know, thank God Bob compared it to that Chimera thing. Uh, he compared it to that Xbox HDMI thing, and he compared it to pound cables too, just to be totally transparent and fair. But you know, it's like I will give Bob credit, great credit for this. He is very objective and is able to put any sort of friendships or biases to the side. And I think everyone should have. I think everyone, I think everyone who talks about that stuff realistically is pretty good about that because it would be one thing if somebody made a video and said, "Don't buy this. It's a piece of shit." The fact of the matter is people say, don't buy this thing, it's a piece of shit, and here is why. That's the important that's the salient point. That's the that's the important that's the important part. So, you know, um I, I agree with everything that you said though. I think that if more people were available to tell you not just don't buy it, but let me explain to you why, it would probably dispel and mitigate a lot more of this. You know, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, especially with like Bitfunk stuff, and I know you know. I guess that's I'm talking more about their. That's, that's Buttfunks, excuse their, me. Uh, what? That's Buttfunks. Oh. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> I guess I'm talking more about the plastics um, than I am about the like their hardware stuff because I mean, I guess to a certain point, I mean, you either cloned it right or you didn't. Um, but the plastic. Uh, stuff like gamecube shell like i know they have a gamecube shell i i, I was just looking on there i, I think uh dude they li- fucked up the gamecube shell so hard yeah the, because the, literally the vents on one side are extended yeah it looks awful but like that's the sort of thing you know i i feel like you know the 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 because people have been saying you know don't buy bitfunks for so long I, i'm not saying like okay i will buy bitfunks you know uh, I'm just saying, like, you know, the 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 proof should be just like um, somebody making a video and comparing them side by side. Like, I, I am gonna be excited when the um, uh, the yeah, Yowie is that how you pronounce his name? When when those shells come out because that's that those are gonna be cool. But uh, the, the, I I don't like. Is there there just must be another? Uh, okay, I was about to say something that sounded stupid. There are, uh, you know, a lot of people that genuinely cannot afford high the higher end products, and that is something that I can respect. But and, so then you go on the the like Bitfunk's AliExpress page, and it's just like, uh, you know, five hundred five star reviews. It's like that's there's an insane amount of people. Be careful with those five star reviews. Um, it's a known fact that some uh, that some sellers will actually jack your address 
just to make fraudulent reviews on other products, even That's sometimes their own. Oh, interesting. That's very true. That's very true. Well, That's well, I guess my, my point is that, and I think as a community, we just need to understand that some people just don't live and die by like Twitter, right? Like they don't go to, they, they won't ask, Hey, is this thing any good? They just kind of shop and they do their own thing. And, and like, I don't necessarily know if it's a reasonable thing to say like, Oh, that person's a piece of shit. They bought, <laughs> they bought Bitfunks, any Bitfunks products. Cause I will admit I own one Bitfunks product and it is the PS2 network adapter thing. And I bought that like, well, you know, you know, to, to your point, something that really irritated me, um, I did a video, just a, I did a short little simple video on installing the Pluto board into a GameCube, and I used one of the newer revised SD to SP2 boards. Well, I, I bought it on Amazon. I don't know who the fuck made the goddamn thing. But I get this comment on Twitter from a guy, and he's like, you know, uh, you're supporting Bitfunks, and that's a Bitfunks product. It's not a Bitfunks product. There are a thousand different Chinese vendors who have produced and distributed this. So that's another thing that's really important. Bitfunks might sell something. That doesn't mean that they're the only vendor selling it. And it doesn't mean that it's a Bitfunks original product. And I feel like there's been a lot of demonization just over like cheap products. And I, I'll tell you this. I know I don't demonize anyone. I know that Bob doesn't. I know that the, most of these people don't. But for some reason, because you are into the more expensive things like the Retro Tink 5s or the OSSCs, you, there's this air of like elitism that sort of automatically, automatically gets bestowed upon you. But the reality is cheap products are important. They're more important than the expensive products. The Retro Tink 2, the Retro Tink Mini, these things that are the sub $100 products now. I mean, you know, these cables that are 40 or $50 that, that are pound and, you know, the Hyperkin pound, like the Dreamcast HDMI cables, those all have a utility and a purpose. They're not going to be very good, but that doesn't mean that somebody else can't make a good product that's very cheap. As Electron Shepard made the Xbox HDMI, that's like a $35 dongle. We don't talk crap about that. It's just a matter of cheap doesn't mean crap. And unfortunately, people in this community feel like they're being gatekept, or gate. How, how do you say that in the past tense? People feel like there are, there's a lot of gatekeeping going on for whatever reason. They feel almost embarrassed that they didn't spend a lot of money. Like I, I just have a Raspberry Pi setup. I didn't spend a lot of money on a scaler because I can't afford that. You probably are the smartest person among all of us because excellent choice. Excellent. You don't have to worry about any sort of image processor or upscaler. Emulators can be as plenty as plenty accurate as you need to be just to enjoy the game, and you've probably spent a fraction of a fraction of a percent as the rest of us dumbasses who've probably spent hundreds to thousands of dollars doing this stuff. Like, you know, there there are solutions and options for everybody, and cheap options aren't bad options. It's just shitty products are bad options, and unfortunately, that's the bulk of a lot of this stuff. I should also. Uh, mention that like I don't think people should feel guilty if they do own like a couple of Bitfunks products or even like a, a couple of dubi uh, products of like dubious quality um, 
like personally speaking, I have a blue Nintendo 64 shell when these were like first coming out and it's mainly because it was literally the uh well retro scaler bit funks I don't fucking know what they go by uh they uh, they're the only people that are that have them readily available now they're not necessarily great but you know I have like a bunch of uh, N64 boards laying around so I was like fuck it why not um would I ever buy one again mm, probably not but um would yeah. I say that, I mean only, I, only Nintendo owns the 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 copyright on their shell or whatever the term for a a 3 thing I guess like they are the only ones that own the the rights to the shell right so right. Not, I, and I, um and as well like I have uh I have a GDMU clone to be honest I don't remember where I got that from but you know that's another product that's like commonly associated with bitfunks and it's like, no, they weren't the first ones selling the GDMU clones. I have um, one, and I love it. I love it. I bought it for like $60, and yes, it's a clone, and typically I don't support cloners, but I'm sorry. The uh, Dayanen, or however you say his name, he's a jerk. He's an asshole. I'm not saying he deserves to be cloned. I'm just saying that if you're an asshole to people, I don't care if you get cloned. That's how slippery and slopey my ethics are. <laughs> Take that, bastards. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and the fact that you can only get them, you know, on a blue moon the second Thursday of, of November or something like listen, that. Listen, listen. That's annoying. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. We're talking about clones and we're talking about people feeling, uh, you know, I own a Bitfunks Dreamcast SD card reader. Great product. It works great. I have no, I have no, um, I don't feel bad about that. But, you know, we're talking about this cloning stuff. And let me tell you something, guys. Let me just tell, ladies and gentlemen. There is no worse community when it comes to thieving, cloning, backbiting bullshittery than when it comes to the Game Boy modding community. Strap on. Strap the hell on. I will oh never boy, go near go. that place. I will never go near Game Boy modding. I will never touch it. I don't have anything to do with it. It's a horrible scene to be in. I'm not saying that Game Boy mods are horrible, and the, I'm not saying that the people in the scene that are horrible, but it's amazing how much cloning, theft, and just absolute toxic buffoonery uh, transpires in the Game Boy modding scene. I don't get it. I don't understand it. it it's amazing think- how big that community I, – I do feel like it's a sizable bit larger – uh, and not like um, the people that make it, but the but the consumers. Like if you look at, I, I, I don't know why I judge how big a community is by how big like the YouTube channels around it are. But like if you look at like the Retro Future and like this mother um, Game Boy specific. You mean the reason why we can't get a fucking cheap broken Game Boy anymore? <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. You know, I understand that um, modding is fun, soldering can be difficult. And you know the the a good way out for a lot of people is just to do Game Boy stuff because it's mostly plug and play stuff. You don't really have to solder anything. So like I I completely understand that, and I think that adds to the reason why it's um, bigger, right? It's just less. But let me ask you. Let me ask you. So let, let, just real quick. Let me just let me just throw this out here. This is just some. Let's just do some statistics here, real quick. 
some real fast, easy math. We're talking about people, you know, in a niche hobby, GameCube modding, not GameCube, I'm sorry, Game Boy modding. That's niche enough. How many people per capita of people would you say, the people who are... The people who are modding Game Boys, are they really buying up and depleting the millions of second-hand Game Boys that are out there on the secondary market? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that like – I'm not asking that in like a, like a juvenile way. I'm really asking, has the Game Boy, the small-ass little tiny modding scene of let's say maybe 1,000 people – let's just say like – let's say 10,000 people. Have 10,000 people really affected the supply and demand of the, the, the zillions of Game Boys that are out there sold on the secondary market? That's not a trick question. I'm genuinely asking. Yes. So ever since like the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance screen mods have become more readily available, cheaper to obtain, as well as easier to install, more and more people have been getting into the art of Game Boy modding, which... Under normal circumstance, I would be happy for because I love seeing more people getting into the hobby of modding. Hell, I still actually enjoy Game Boy mods. I have a few uh, on standby ready for videos, and it's mainly just because I like uh, to I like to build them. The problem, though, is that um, when you have something that's so easy to install, so readily available, more and more people get into it, more and more people start talking about it, more and more people uh, then start uh, building more uh, more and more units. And sadly, even though like you can, they're still common as dirt, they have risen in price just simply because everyone keeps talking about how easy it is to mod a Game Boy, a Game Boy Color, a Game Boy Advance. Um, and... It's even perpetuated more when the generation that did grow up with the Game Boy Advance or with the Game Boy line of consoles, they're at an age right now where they have disposable income. So um, you have like all this, uh, you have this high demand. Granted, the supply is also pretty high, but everyone doesn't shut the fuck up about it. So it causes the price to rise up more and more and more as people stupidly pay more and more and more. Um, it's the same thing that's going on with Nintendo 64 right now. It's the same thing. Well, except for uh, the modding scene doesn't play that much of a role into it. But um, uh, but uh, as these uh, as this stuff gets talked about more and more, it gets more eyes into it. It gets more people buying into it, and it unfortunately it causes an inflation in price, and it becomes harder for people like me who just you know, wants a couple of Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advances to fix on the side just for fun, it, it becomes harder for us to get it for less than fucking uh, 50 bucks. Like, um, I had to import... Yeah, that's so one... stupid. That's horrible. I, like, I kind of find it. I kind of find it funny how you're complaining that you can't buy a couple for yourself because other people are buying a couple for themselves. Uh, well, it, it is ironic, but I, I'm just saying, like it's it it's kind of it's kind of stupid uh, in a way because it's like the, these are Game Boy Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advances. They they sold millions. They sh it, it should be like the NES. Well, that's my point. My point. My my whole the 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 whole point of my question was: Is it really that a few thousand people have influenced the secondary market? Of a good that was sold in the tens. Oh God, how many Game Boys were sold? Fifty million, 
30 million? Well, you know, I, I honestly think that's more, I will blame the moms for that one because I think that a Game Boy is a very throwawayable thing, like way more consumable than a console, right? So I feel like there's probably a lot more Game Boys that just got thrown out, which is the saddest thing in the world, but um, it's not necessarily something that sits, because it's, so there's two parts, right? One, people's parents aren't probably going to hold on to that if it's got a broken screen or whatever. It just goes right in the garbage. And two, um, the people that are buying them sort of in bulk or whatever, it's a, it's a much smaller thing to hold on to, right? It's not like you're buying, oh, I bought 100 GameCubes today. Where the hell am I going to put that in my house? Versus, you know, I bought 100 Game Boys today that fits in one box, like, and then that's it. Like, you just hold on to them for a while. So You know, back in the day, know. back in 2016, I designed something called the GBA Afterburner. And what it was, was it was a little charge pump apparatus that would supply good proper voltage to those backlit screens of the, the, the GBA SP screen so you could put that into an original Game Boy Advance. And I did it as an exercise because I wanted to teach myself uh, at mail assembly language. So I chose an ATiny13 microprocessor because it had, or microcontroller because it had all the PWM functionality I needed and the storage to properly change the brightness of the screen. I was going to use this to change the brightness and to save and to save and to store settings. And it's, it was all done and it was all made uh, through, through the controller buttons. Uh, before anything else ever came out, it was done. It was designed. It worked great. And I just, I decided the minute I release this is the minute that it's going to be cloned by China and everybody else. And so I put it on a shelf. And not three months later, after putting it on the shelf, Bob was really pissed about this. Everybody had a version of this thing. And uh, it's like. The game. Well, the point is, the Game Boy Advance mods, the backlight mods, they just exploded out of nowhere. Like interest was like instant, and for some reason, it's one of those things that just took off like crazy, crazy. Okay, I actually have an exercise for you, Voltar. So, I am looking at a lot, a sold lot of twelve Game Boy Advances. None of this shit works. How much do you think a lot of 12 junked uh, Game Boy Advances should sell for? Well, I mean, if, if it's a real junked lot and, you know, it's being sold as is, like normal day prices, I probably would have paid, you know, $14 a pop. So if it's 12 of them, I mean, I would pay around probably 150 to 180 bucks. But these days, you've got a junk lot of 12 Game Boy Advances. They're probably $590. They're probably going to average around forty-five bucks. Yeah, they're going to average about forty-five, fifty bucks a piece. So that's around five. Was what it? What's what is forty-five times twelve? Five hundred and what's five? Five hundred forty bucks and up, easily, easily. That's nuts, guys. That's crazy. That's fucking nuts. Fuck the Game Boy. Fuck it. No, I love the Game Boy. The Game Boy is my favorite, to be honest with you. Next to uh, you know what else is my the Super Nintendo for obvious reasons, which you'll see soon. Yeah, and I'm actually looking forward to that. Um, I did mention that uh, that I plan on installing it on... Uh, I'm planning on doing, like, an ultimate Super Famicom build with, like, a clear shell, uh, re- resurfacing the caps and everything, because they've evidently vented. Um, 
But, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to taking a look at how that uh, how that mod is going to look on a SHVC CPO one and comparing it to a stock unit and heaven forbid that I ever uh, run out of those. Um, as well as I have one of the older, uh, not really good at all sharpening, uh, filter super famicoms. And I have it specifically for this purpose, comparing it to a stock unit, modded unit a and modded unit b i'm very interested to see what the results are going to be like i think you're going to have a lot of fun this was a lot of work uh fur tech was very gracious and helping me with decapped shots of the DAC, uh explaining to me what all the little gates were because i don't know how to look at those polygons like he does and i was able to effectively totally reconstruct the DAC, the actual DAC and the in the two ppu understand what it was doing understand why it was doing what it was doing and there so therefore i was able to almost reverse the effects that we don't like and i will tell you the design choices that rico made rico spun this up the choices they made in like their 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 they were using they used it was a rope DAC with uh, three sub-DACs within the main DAC, uh, 13 bits apiece. Well, in other words, it was done in such a convoluted, fucked-up way, even in for the late 80s, that I am not convinced that Nintendo didn't say, hey, we don't want this to look sharp, we don't want this to show hard pixel edges, we want circles to look like circles, and we want things to have a nice, blurred artsy, non-digital look to it. I'm telling you, I really am starting to believe that the the SNES is blurry on purpose. I'm serious. I really think that. Doesn't that have to do with the CRT technology of the time? Well, I think it has to do with the CRT. I think certainly that that is a component of it. I think that Nintendo was really... They were really cognizant of keeping they were really weird about visuals and 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 the thing is even the the ppu of the nes it works in a very it has a really weird quirk to it that people don't like uh but it's hard to explain like technically but the this quirk the reason nintendo did it and the reason that it exists is so that dot crawl on crts would be mitigated. The SNES has the same quirk, by the way, but it was it was it was done. The the NTSC color burst was done in a way so that it would be phased in a manner that would mitigate dot crawl and it would improve composite video performance, so that things would look more rounded and not and there wouldn't be like this, you know, this more uh, dot crawl art a chroma artifacting over the composite video signal. I mean, Nintendo purposely did things like this before the Super Nintendo even came out. So it's 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 like, really what I feel like I'm doing here is I'm fighting against what Nintendo wanted from the very beginning with the Super Nintendo. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, I know that with like the, uh, the Super Nintendo, at least with early models, from what I can see from looking at the schematics, even like the way that composite and S video is generated isn't quite the same as like your traditional uh, encode, uh, 
your traditional like Sony encoder or whatnot, it seems to like the RGB signals break off um, between the multi out as well as the uh, BA sixty five ninety two ninety four AF doesn't fucking matter. To which the encoder does uh, seems to generate a Luma phase blue. Uh, well, RYBY, not phase blue, phase phase red. And then it just loops its way back into the encoder, and that, and then just gets mixed down into the chroma signal for S video. And I think it also uh, does composite too. I'm not. Well, well, so so the thing about that, the thing about all that is the the Super Nintendo, all versions of the Super Nintendo, with the exception of the RGB revision, the AP revision, and of course the one chips, they use all voltage followers or emitter followers. To drive the RGB, there is no encoder. Um, the 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 RGB video off of your launch model Super Nintendo and almost every other model of the Super Nintendo, the 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 RGB video doesn't come from a clamped, buffered, uh, uh, you know, Sony or uh, a Ricoh video encoder. It's mainly driven off of it's driven off of the PPU. You have a emitter follower. Um, uh, buffer that takes the RGB, it buffers it out, it sends it to the encoder for encoded formats, that's S-Video and Composite, and the RGB is split going to the encoder and also going directly out to the multi-out. So it's really interesting why Nintendo chose that. But the reason that you have those color different signals those color difference signals on the older encode video encoders found on the Super Nintendo is because those old BA692s or those BA695Fs, people thought, oh, we can make a great component mod out of this. Well, the fact of the matter is the, the silicon back in the 1980s, it was very difficult to get all of the components into that damn uh, – onto the silicon. This is the same for the Sony CXA1145 encoder. A lot of the stuff – is externalized. So the reason you see color difference or RYBI coming out and that going through a series of resistors and capacitors and other passive components and then going right back into the encoder, it's simply because they weren't able to fit all of those they weren't able to fit all those application circuits onto the silicon so it's externalized. People made this. People decided to make component video mods for the Super Nintendo, trying to take advantage of that. Unfortunately, those chips were never really designed to to do that. So all those mods, none of them work very well because that's just not what the chip was. In, the, those video encoders were intended to do. They just had to externalize all the, a lot of those components off the silicon, and then once the signal was shaped appropriately, those signals were jammed back into the encoder, and then that's where you got S video and composite video. Sorry for the history lesson. Ah, you're good. Um, I do know that um, I actually did put together an experimental uh, Super Famicom once. It has a a THS-7316 circuit in it. It's been a bit. Um, And it, uh, it was designed specifically to amplify and attenuate the, uh, Luma phase blue and uh, phase, I keep calling it phase blue, phase red, but it's not technically a traditional component. Um, it's a much older standard, but uh, 
it's uh, YCBCR. I, it's it's YCBCR is what you're talking about. It's a different. It's a if it's it's a different. Uh, it's a different color space uh, encoding technically. R Y B Y. Right. Um, and the way uh, I put together that. Uh, this uh, system just to see like okay uh, I always see like these component mods and I'm like these are not proper component modifications and and uh, evidently it's uh, what it, this is going to do is going to result in a de- uh, in a dead encoder um, so let's see if I can try to um, use it an amp circuit in order to co- not necessarily do do a quote-unquote proper mod but rather do one that's not going to cause my uh encoder to freaking uh self-end itself um and the results were interesting like the colors uh, it was certainly sharp but the problem uh, that i noticed is that the colors uh the colors were not as vibrant as when compared to rgb and it was interesting that when you were bringing up how uh, how the uh, encoding circuit uh, works on the early Super Nintendos because, like, what you described about like the color spacing is exactly what I experienced when I did uh, did a less dangerous uh, component mod. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes that makes total sense. To which I don't have that system anymore. That uh, <laughs> that is currently pop- property of Mike G. That poor bastard. Mike's a good man. He's a good man. I know him he well. A, yeah, he is a good man. Um, I originally just lent, uh, lent it to him to, uh, to you know, get get his opinion. Uh, it was either just uh, for him to te- uh, test it or uh, get get his opinion on it. But event uh, evidently, I just kind of was like, you know, I just keep it. Like I, I decided like I didn't want to pursue the project anymore because. I was like, by the time that I I can figure out a way to make this uh, somewhat viable, like it would be kind of redundant because like we have HD retrovision cables, um, and at the time there was whispers of a better modification for um, Super Nintendos to get digital video out of it. So it's like by the time that I even get this tuned to a point where I'm satisfied, it's like what the fuck would be the point? You know that's still happening. I had a, I saw a prototype of that, um, and the results were very promising. Uh, but the problem, okay. So the next part of the, the 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 next year of my life is going to be dedicated to the Super Nintendo, simply because I've got some stuff coming out for the Super Nintendo, obviously. But more importantly, I have probably sixty. I've had sixty systems pass through here in the past four months. Most of these systems are in terrible shape. A lot of these systems are in a state of rot. The electrolytics on these launch model and these later, these earlier revision Super Nintendos are rotting away the board. Um, it is imperative that we start repairing these and doing cat kit jobs and doing some serious maintenance. And I've been working really hard to do some gui- uh, to, to uh, create some guides for that, but. Um, the Super Nintendo is in a lot of trouble. Chips are dying, and the digital mod that is available requires you to remove the PPU 
because you have to install an interposer in place of the PPU. And just so that everyone knows, the PPU on the Super Nintendo, either of them, are a surface mount QFP or a quad flat pack. So you have to introduce those. They're already dying, and they're dying a lot. And the idea of introducing those chips to any unnecessary heat or thermal energy like that, I mean, I love the digital stuff, but I, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. So I hope that there's a solution soon for those who are interested in a digital mod that doesn't require you to cook the PPU off the board uh, because those things, Rico, the, the fabrication process that Rico was using back in the very early 90s uh, um, had a lot of long-term reliability issues, and we're now starting to see that. So if it's not capacitors that are blowing out and rotting as Super Nintendos, it's the fact that the silicon's just dying, and there's nothing that we can do about that. Like, So don't drop your Super Nintendo. Don't shake your Super Nintendo. I know that may sound silly, but the fact is the little bond wires in your PPUs and your CPUs, um, if they take a hit and if they take uh, some serious turbulence, they can pop and your, 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 your system's bricked. Until you get a replacement chip, and unless you have some experience, good luck diagnosing what chip is bad. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm getting ready to do a lot of education for people and modders, especially on the Super Nintendo, because man, you know, I, I thought that making this Deblur mod would bring the prices down because people would buy the less expensive Super Nintendos. Well, unfortunately, as great as that would be, the Super Nintendos that people are going to be buying, a lot of them are going to be busted. Or they're going to start to get busted. So, anyways, enough of my soapbox. Are those CPUs yeah. dying because they're a mixed signal chip? Is that necessarily what does it, or how are those? How are these dying so much? It's 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 the way it's it's. So I can't remember what the fabric. I can't remember what the manufacturing. I cannot remember what the manufacturing process was called. Um, it was something that happened when we migrated from sort of NMOS fabrications to CMOS fabrications. The way that these ship chips were constructed, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's it's a mix it's it's a it's a mixed signal system. It just has to do with the way these things were assembled and produced. Um, there's a they're they're not sealed, and uh, because they're not sealed. The gates and the uh, little conductor pieces on the masks are prone to oxidation, uh, and they're even prone to rust. So I've talked to people who have decapped uh, Super Nintendo chips and other chips of that era. And what they're finding is at the turn of like, you know, when CMOS started taking off, um, what they're finding is that when they peel the layers back with acid, they're seeing a lot of oxidized material, metal, and they're seeing like iron oxide on gates, and that's rust. And it's just these chips are just mostly, obviously, because your Super Nintendos could be kept in uh, unclimate controlled buildings, garages, places. They're in they're in the presence of high moisture content, and those chips. Under the silicon, under the under the uh, under the package, they're they're just leaching moisture out of the air, and they're they're rotting. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, and and that issue is also. I, I, 
yeah does the one chip super nintendo also uh, has that issue do no. you know no the super nintendo the the super the the super nintendo one chip uh that was um that was an asic that was designed much 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 later and it doesn't suffer from any of those um manufacturing defects no that uses a much much more it uses a significantly more revised manufacturing process yeah i've fixed like dozens upon dozens of super nintendos and super famicoms i still import them regularly in bulk and i will and th- and it's because i fixed so many of them is the reason why i say the super nintendo is nintendo's worst engineered console like d- fuck absolutely the uh, fuck the n64 uh being the worst fuck the virtual boy being the worst like nah those are well built compared to the goddamn Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom. If the caps aren't blown uh, blown to bits, which I end up recapping all of them anyways because I know that they most likely will be, the CPU usually dies. The PPU, I haven't had too many PPUs die on me, but it does happen occasionally. Um, It's usually PPU 1 that's the issue. Um, um, And it's infuriating because it's like uh, capacitors, I can get source capacitors i can source them in through hole i can source source them in uh, ceramic tantalum i can even source uh, uh source them from any package that uh, package you want big small name it you, i can source it a cpu or a ppu no i'm fucked because i can't source a replacement for that without sacrificing another system which... any super nintendo any Super Nintendo that's being serviced should be recapped. That any non-one-chip Super Nintendo should absolutely be th- completely recapped. No questions asked across the board. Has to be done. Yeah, and uh, the most common issue that I get is like, you know, oh, my video is dark or the video is unstable or I get no video but sound. I'm like, your capacitors are, are dead. Like, I, I guarantee you, if I were to... Uh, heat off those capacitors the pads underneath it are probably uh, all corroded and shit because they evidently vented maybe a stupid question but would it be worth um, doing some sort of a non-conductive epoxy to kind of reseal those uh, cpus the ones like two chip models like just to prevent the oxidation from even being able to happen maybe but you know it's 32 years later i don't know if we can put the two toothpaste back in the tube but maybe prophylactically prophylactically that may make sense but i think that we're too far gone it's akin to like you know being 50 years old or being 60 years old and you you just got lung cancer like we can quit we can quit but does that really help us now that we're in the you know sunset years I think that that's a good idea, certainly, but I just don't know. That's a good idea for today, but I don't know if it's going to help the systems that are fucked yesterday. It's really, it's really unfortunate. I, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I'll evidently, like, uh, evidently, what would need to happen is more similar to like it. Uh, actually, it's interesting because you brought up Furtech earlier. Furtech actually has made like replacement PCM chips for Neo Geo cartridges, and it, I think it uses an FPGA or a CPLD, one of those two. Um, but I think for the Super Nintendo, that's just the route we're going to have to go. We are going to need to 
find a way to recreate its chipset uh, at a bare metal level and uh, create replacement chips out of like uh, low power CPLDs or FPGAs um, that, you know, can uh, handle the task. Like that's the only way we're going to be able to keep these Super Nintendos alive is... Well, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. We have no choice because there is only a finite supply. The only replacement chips that we're going to get are from Super Nintendos that have other busted parts that are already parts as it is. The good news is, the good news is, people turn their uh, noses to this, but whatever. The good news is that a lot of these Chinese vendors, especially these embedded Chinese companies... They're coming out with FPGAs. They're coming out with they're coming out with development resources. And you know what? Getting ASICs. I'm not talking about FPGAs. I'm talking about ASICs spun up uh, in the next four or five years. It's not going to be that expensive because right now, like for low volume stuff, having actual ASICs spun up for various things is getting kind of affordable. Like so, I can really see like in the few, I can really see in half a decade where we have like we have gate level micro shots of the SNES chips. I can see those being assembled in an FPGA and tested, and then and then burned into an ASIC, and then being sold like by people for like fifteen or twenty bucks or thirty dollars a piece. Like, there's a lot of value in that, and I think like look guys, we rely on emulation for a lot of things. We're also going to rely on it to preserve the hardware that we have, like you know, both 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 in a digital sense and like what we're talking about in a very physical and, and tangible and real sense. Like it's stuff's important, you know. God bless America. Yeah, yeah. And, we... like, it, it's not just like with uh, Super Nintendo where it uh, I can see problems. Uh, either like NES, like granted, I don't get like dead CPUs and GPUs often, but they do happen, and that that in itself it can be kind of a concern. Um, I especially see failed PPUs in botched uh, NES RGB or high def NES installs, or just you know faulty boards in general. Um, but also the Nintendo sixty four, while I have not seen mass reports of it, the fact that it uses an obsolete RAM can be a concern and we would, uh, and it's also the reason why we don't have re- uh, new expansion packs, by the way. Um, so, you know, evidently like uh, at some point in time, we're, uh, we will have to rely on like some form of emulation, be it hardware or software in order to keep these old systems alive because the original chipsets, unfortunately, they weren't designed to last uh, deck uh, last more than like 30, 40 years. It's just more of a miracle that they are alive today. Well, it's just physics, and absolutely, it's really a blessing. We can do everything that we can do to preserve them, and quite frankly, most a lot of this hardware is probably not going to have any trouble going for another 80 or 100 years, and that's just the fact. You know, a lot of this stuff is going to outlive all of us and probably, if maintained, will outlive our children. But, you know, that doesn't mean – it's like kind of like global warming or like climate control, right? Like, well, you know, uh, if, you know, the climate's going to get fucked, it's not going to be in my lifetime, so I don't care. Well, you know, these video games, you know, the real hardware might work for us through our lifetimes, but 
might not be here for our kids or our kids' kids. So if we want them to experience that, we need to do, do the best that we can do to preserve it. And what we can't preserve, we need to make sure that we, we, we digitally archive it in some way so that they can experience it. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel very passionate about this. I'm, very, I'm a passionate man. God damn it. Think of the children. And the thing is, though, it's like it's not like emulation, be it software or hardware, can't offer the same experience. Like, uh, Hegon for PC. Granted, you need a pretty decently powerful PC to handle it, but that's a cycle-accurate Super Nintendo emulator. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and it's, the, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's, you know... Can get in trouble for saying this, but I'm just going to tell you, all of these great FPGA cores that we have that you know are modeled around like you know hardware, you know low level accuracy, especially in the Super Nintendo realm, wouldn't have happened without Hygon. Would not have happened. It could, it, it would have happened inevitably, but it would have taken several, several years. We owe everything to software emulation. Period. Yeah, literally, if Nier didn't do anything with Super Nintendo, we wouldn't be where it is in terms of the FPGA consoles. There's no way. Nowhere close. Nowhere close. No way. I mean, like, even NES, like, uh, what I find interesting is while the NES is, like, the one that, uh, the system that gets spam-fucked the most in terms of, like, ooh, so retro, ooh, ooh, like, uh, ironically speaking, the NES is nowhere near as accurately preserved as the Super Nintendo is currently. Well, that's like, the interesting thing about this. You know, the interesting about the NES is we have to be really careful about preserving that and making sure we preserve all incarnations, because the NES's chipset went through several revisions uh, from from um, well, technically from technically a all the way to, to all the way to h but you know the thing is like if you if you were to let's say that we were preserving nes hardware right that we were we were digitally scanning it so that we could remodel this in fpga if you were to re if you were to model let's say the 2a03e cpu that's the cpu of the nes you may have trouble with some of those because the 2A03E, by the way, the CPU of the NES also has the audio tone generator. There is a bug in the PCM sampling registers of the uh, 2A03E revision. Games like Mega Man 2 and Metal Man Stage, the music won't sound right because the sample that's used to play that the audio in that is really fucked up. This was fixed in later E revisions, but in all G and H revisions. So, you know, this is the thing, like, it's not just a matter of archiving the chip. You've got to archive everything because, you know, a lot of this stuff is different. A lot of this stuff, uh, a lot of the revisions, we think, well, you know, an SNES is an SNES. No, that's not true. An SNES just isn't an SNES. It's all about the revision that you're playing. And of course we know that about the one chip, don't we? Because there are a lot of games that you can play on the Super Nintendo one chip revision that just either aren't going to agree or they're going to have a variety of graphical errors and glitches because the ASIC wasn't implemented completely identically to the original hardware. Dude, I was playing Treasure of Rudris, the English translation, on my uh, one chip uh, actually, it was a Model 2 Super Nintendo. And anytime a text box would pop up, it would freak out. 
like crazy. And I tested it on another one chip, did the same thing. Tested it on a three chip unit, just fine. And I was like, what the fuck? Now, what that probably is, I'm I'm gonna I'm speculating here, is some of the some of these games were hard coded for those bugs on different CPU revisions. That's absolutely and correct. So I've seen it with computer software uh, for retro gaming computer stuff, but and and I would not, without a doubt, some of those games were hard coded for like, oh, the devs know. You know this CPU acts this way, and they, you know they have five Super Nintendos in the studio, so and they're all the same revision because they all got them at the same time. So that's what they're written for. So back in the day, in another life, I had to debug a lot of sixty five hundred two code for a for for an architecture system uh, that was written uh, for the sixty for the NMOS. That's N is in November MOS. A version of the 6502. The problem is, is that the software that was written uh, took advantage and used all of the illegal opcodes that worked with the NMOS, but were written out and no longer worked when used with the 65CO2, which is the newer CMOS version of the 6502. This happens all. This used to happen all the time back in the day because you know. Again, you know, just because it's the same CPU doesn't really mean it's the same CPU. And it can be a pain in the ass to go through and deal with. Yeah, and um, I do recall, like, I was talking to uh, Ace. Like, you uh, you mentioned, like, an audio bug with the E-Revision. But what's interesting is that there's also a similar audio bug with the revision list to AO3 the launch model uh, CPU, like the, uh, the um, certain notes just to, don't play at all, um, resulting in uh, like Metal Man, Quick Man stage, uh, just sounding like it's missing notes. Well, that's because it is. Um, and heck, even Super Mario Brothers 3, I hear that the revisionless CPU just refuses to play Super Mario 3 correctly. You know, I think you're right. I think I think I was I think I was I think you're right. I think I was a little mixed up. The E revision fixed that, but it was the it was the base it was the launch two AO three. It was the launch CPU that was in the Famicom where the PCM registers they would corrupt and a lot of the like you know, so in Super Mario three you have those drums, you know, in the like the main in like the main um in the main like tune. Um those would um those would corrupt, and you wouldn't hear them. The same with Metal Man stage. Um, interesting. It's just it, that stuff fascinates me. Really quickly, I don't know if everyone caught it, but the last uh, stellar. Oh, update. so while everyone's here, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on that new um, ODE that Fikesel is making. Okay, so the, if you're talking about the universal one. Um, I'm pretty excited for it because it's uh, it's going to be much more versatile. I have a feeling that like the way it works, it's not going to be like a traditional OD- ODE per se. Rather, uh, because an ODE replaces the the whole drive, um, it replicates the whole drive. Rather, I think it's uh, going to be more like it replicates the behavior of the uh, uh, of the CD laser. Which it ha- is both a pro and a con. Pro, 
um, replicating the behavior of uh, the behavior of the CD laser could result in much higher uh, higher compatibility and more accurate read timings. Con, don't expect uh, fast load times with this bitch. I think it's great. I think it's great in the sense that it's a modless, in the sense that there is no solder, plug-and-play option. You know, this is something that we talked about years and years and years ago, having a perfectly emulated optical unit that could be just plugged into anything. Of course, you know, the problem with that is if you're looking for performance increases, you're not going to find them with something that perfectly replicates the hardware that you're replacing it with. So as long as you don't, I mean, but, you know, if, if you don't care about that, I mean, my God, you can stuff this thing, I, I guess, into a Sega CD, a 3DO, a CDI, God forbid, you idiot. You know, um, I think that's really cool. I think that's really cool. I don't know too much about it, but I'm glad that this is finally happening. I, I just hope that it's at a price point that's reasonable. $300, I think. Nah, that's that's terrible. I take it back. <laughs> um, well, it looks like different models, 250s. One of them, the three hundreds, the other, I guess. Yeah, it's about like two fifty. Um, I'm personally interested in it mainly because I have a PC Engine Duo R. To say that the Duo systems have been greatly neglected is kind of an understatement. So the fact that we have something is rather nice. You know, if it's two ninety nine, listen. If it's two ninety nine, and if this can just be interchangeable to any system, okay. That's you know, uh, but I, I can I could deal with that. I could I could deal with that if it's worth it to you. I just yeah, it's you know two fifty for that one. Yeah, it's it's only the uh, PCFX uh, version. I guess that that one's for some reason separate from all the others, and that's three hundred dollars. But but yeah, the the universal one is two fifty. So I, and it's going to be a little bit faster than probably a well, no, it's not. It it, it can't because you know things like so the the PC engine. Like if you were to emulate the opt, if you were to emulate the optical drive, and you weren't going to take into account like the sled movement, like right, if like that's if you're not if you're not emulating the time it takes the laser to move across its sled, you know a lot of a lot of Duo R or a lot of PC Engine uh, CD software takes advantage of that time to do computation, and if you don't emulate it perfectly. You're going to have trouble with music playback being out of sync. You're going to have trouble with data not streaming in properly. This is the problem that the mode, or not the mode, excuse me, the uh, what's that piece of shit Terra Onion device, uh, the solid, the SSD S3. That's the problem that it had. And I'm sorry, I'm just speaking very candidly because it's a terrible company. That's the problem that that device had. It didn't properly emulate, not just like the laser and the optical pickup reading, you know, reading data in. It didn't. It didn't properly um, emulate the laser's movement and the time and the and the and the and the um, the, the the interval of time between like sled movements and tracking. Like that. That is so complicated. That I mean, I, I just hope that this thing can do all of that properly for each system because not every not every sled is the not every sled is this, uh, you know moves at the same speed too. That's another thing. Like. That that's going to be really difficult to. That's going to be kind of difficult to tailor that to every single drive because even though optical drives are optical drives, each and every one of them are kind of proprietary in their own ways. I wonder if they'll ever have a way to externalize it. 
because that would be pretty sick if it was just like a plug and play module that you could just you know have a ribbon sticking out of <laughs> of your different systems that you could plug into kind of thing or like a you know a mount a port or something well you know i i think yeah that would be really cool um i really like what robert newman did or rama did with the um with the x station and i really like what um God, what was the other guy's name? Oh, uh, of course, Cricks. You know, these guys, they're not doing a one-to-one optical drive emulator, but they are doing things that sort of fulfill that service of, like, using optical media or emulating optical media, but also they're doing it in a way that gives you great performance increases in file loads, throughput. Um, I really like that Cricks has finally come out with a solution for all PC engines that don't have a CD unit. Um, the new, the, the Turbo EverDrive, whatever he's calling the new one that has the CD support, that's amazing. That's amazing. The, the, the Cydyne, their Sio, that would have been amazing had it not sucked. I, I, you know, I like optical drive emulators, but I just don't like being, I don't like being pigeon, I, I don't like being painted into a corner like it's 2023. It's great that we have optical drive emulators because an optical drive is a wearable. They're all going to inevitably die. But god damn it, I don't want to be stuck with optical drive speeds of like you know 400 kilobytes or kilobits a second. You know, you know what I'm saying? You feel me? Yeah, I just wonder how many systems like actually support faster loading because like a lot of games. Systems and games, you know, have that in mind, like you're talking about the sled tracking time kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I wonder how many how many systems can, re- like, realistically be sped up with their loading times to faster than, you know, the stock CDs it's supposed to have. Well, you know, mm-hmm. even... Like, limited to the bus speed of all the protocols. So, like, Saturn is, you know, you're limited to, like, 2x. So you're not going any faster on the drive bus. Just, yeah, your, just only, your only speed increases are going to be, you know, if you can omit drive movement, that's where you're going to pick up, that's where you're going to pick up performance, but you're limited to, you're limited to the bandwidth available uh, on the pipe. And, you know, see uh, a PlayStation is a single speed or two speed, um, the Xbox drive is the Xbox drive's pretty quick. The the PS2 drive's slow. Um, God, that's what we really need. We really need a good PS2 ODE, in my opinion. There's just too many things that open PS2 loader and HDD loader for the PS2 that it just doesn't agree with. One of them being CD-based PlayStation 2 games. That's a big deal. We need a solution to that. Nobody cares about the PlayStation 2. I'll take it back. <laughs> Apparently Grim Doomer does since he recently released that stuff. But I do wonder how many systems can actually be upgraded kind of in place. I mean, I guess it's not the... It's, you're still limited to a bus at some point, like the actual hardware. But, I mean, like, I know, um, you know, Dustin's uh, work on Stellar, he, what, added uh, UDMA5, which that is a... Faster theoretical transfer rate, right? 
I wonder if like PS2 could have the same thing. Just thinking out loud, but really yeah, it's like a similar approach that X Station did with the PS2, where you're just hooking right up to the drive controller. But you need a very large FPGA for that. And then that and then of course this is when prices go high. And then of course when somebody makes a gizmo, the price is going to be the biggest outcry because of that. But what, how does the how does the Sega Saturn? What is the Sega Saturn thing called? That the what's his name? I can see his username C is in Charlie, E D is in Delta. He he made the uh, he made the optical drive. Uh, I don't want to say emulator, but replacements for the Saturn. Those don't require any sort of soldering, do they? Don't they just plug into the uh, to the interconnect there on the uh, yeah where the optical yeah. the, the satiator something like that. No, no, no. He made the Fenrir. Uh, I know who you're talking. You're talking about the French dev. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's the it, French guy. Yeah, I can't remember uh-oh. what it's called. Is it the Fenrir? F E N R I R. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I See, that, uh, that thing now. That thing's pretty good, right? Especially for the price. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, it's super budget. I think it was what ninety ninety bucks at at release. And uh, yeah, it, I mean it works fantastic. Well, I like I told you, like, like I told you guys before, like I told you guys before, the last time we did this fifteen years ago, that RP twenty forty is going to change everything. Where it's being it's being stuffed into all of our video game systems, and there's even an X Station esque um, drive replacement now that's based on the RP twenty forty processor. And it looks pretty cool. I think it's called the Pico Station, actually. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I, I just, this is a fun time. I'm having a good time checking out all the stuff that's coming out. Oh, we're in the golden age of retro. We, we most certainly are in the golden age, no doubt. Even the Fenrir was amazing that they could pull it off with those chips, like seeing how cheap those chips are. Like the ESP32, they're... They, insanely powerful for how cheap they are. And, and I was amazed that they were able to actually pull off the ODE using it. Especially I would now like, the RP2040 or 4020, like you said. Yeah, I would like to see a repl- I would like to see a RP2040 or just some, you know, I would like to see a, an, a drive emulator for the Dreamcast that takes advantage of one of these general purpose MCUs that are crazy powerful that that is open source that we can rely on uh so that everyone has an option that's obtainable meaning that it's at least available for purchase um i think the dreamcast needs a not that there's anything wrong with the gdmu but like um you really can't buy one legally and when i say legally i mean you can't buy one by the creator not that i have a problem with anyone cloning that guy but uh you know I would like to see something more community driven. I mean, so, shit for the prices he was selling it at too is kind of insane. It's nuts, so the, dude. It was crazy. So before the GDMU, I think, um, and even now, like I've seen, like an alternative that people have been going to is something called Dream Shell, and they've been adapting IDE hard drives to replace the uh, the GD-ROM drive because something I didn't know until recently is that. The Dreamcast has all the necessary signals for an IDE hard drive. And I'm like, huh, that's yeah, that interesting. Was, 
that's actually, I'm pretty sure Dream Shell is way older than any of the ODEs. Like, I'm pretty sure that came out around like 2012, 2014. So, those were Russian things that made it. Back in 2012, I worked on, um, in 2012, I designed an IDE to SATA interface specifically for the Dreamcast so that it would integrate onto the Dream, it would, it would, it would, it would interface onto the Dreamcast's bus, and it would work with SWAT's uh, Dream Shell. Now, at the time, the Dream Shell software had a lot of compatibility problems, but I don't know how much that's matured in the past. Thir- this is 13, 14 years ago, but I, I made that and released it, and I think that the Chinese got a hold of it, and they spun it around, and I think a, f- a few years ago, I saw a version of it that they were selling, and I was quite... I was quite amazed that that was still like I thought that the that the GDMU would totally would have totally written that out of the history books. Well, I think the only reason you don't see immediately a Pico, well, I know there I don't know if you've seen recently there is someone that has expressed interest in using two Picos. Yes, literally two of them to replicate the GD-ROM drive. Um just knowing what I know about embedded stuff, I that sounds like hard mode for sure. Like using two two processors instead of one, that sounds really, really, really hard. Um, but I'm I'm personally skeptic. I'm very I'm going to be very surprised if a microcontroller can replicate a GD ROM drive. I will be very surprised. What if it hacks it? What if it? What if it's kind of like a, like a cheesed up? It's not really replicating it, but it's just feeding the data in. It's feeding a data stream in to the Dreamcast in a manner which the Dreamcast doesn't mind, because because you know the heart because well, I don't know you know kind of like the X station right so the X station the X station um, it circumvents all of that um, all of that logic between the optical and the drive controller and the X station for all intents and purposes it's just it's just bit banging data in and out of the of the uh dsp on the playstation right I, I guess i guess if you were to do that with the dreamcast you would probably have to do the same thing that you had to do the x station right you'd have to probably isolate or solder some pins directly to the to, to a drive controller and it, it would it would no longer be it would no longer be a i guess what you'd call a solderless or modless or plug and play mod maybe i'm just talking out of my ass it's really just a software problem. I mean, the RP2040 is a DMA engine beast, and that's why it's so it works great for so many projects. But really, for a lot of these cases, throwing some of the like newer, like dirt cheap FPGAs onto it just opens up so many more possibilities. Yeah, I, was- I, I, I don't know if you guys remember the USB GD ROM. Now that I recall, that does use a microcontroller. Yeah. Really? Is that the is that the Russian is that the Russian guy's uh, take on that? Dude, he's using, using an STM32 and an Atapi drive chip, running the whole thing. I'm, it, I love that dude. I love that dude. His website used to have this troubleshooting section, and it used to say things like, "Don't come to me with your pussy ass." GD, uh, your uh, your G. Uh, what what is the thing we were talking about? Uh, the GDMU. Uh, yeah, there are GDMU problems. That thing's a piece of shit, and only users, only losers use that. But it was written in really broken English because he's Russian, and I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. 
But yeah, <laughs> replicating the whole GD-ROM drive, like every like the whole Atapi bus, the I2S. Well, the I2S isn't hard. That's trivial, but. But I, I, I'm just going to be very surprised if a modern microcontroller can run a whole GD-ROM drive. I will be very Actually, there's actually something I've noticed within like the past year or so. Um, people repairing the GD-ROM drive, not with a GD-ROM laser, no, hacking a CD-ROM laser to fit inside the Dreamcast and retroactively act as a a stand-in for the original GD-ROM laser. And I was like, I I kind of looked at it and I was like, okay, this looks very, very hacky because you need to like file some edges and shit uh, just to get it to fit in the, uh, uh, fit in and sled correctly. But in the back, back part of my mind, I'm like thinking this shouldn't work. At least not completely. Like there has to be more to this. Well, I mean, it's not really any different than a regular CD. The, the difference is the, the 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 main difference between a CD and a GD-ROM is that the the pits and the disc are much higher density. But you know, the 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 GDMU, not the GDMU, the GD-ROMs, the 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 Yamaha drives were phenomenal, very reliable, and very easy, very easy to maintain. The Samsung GD-ROMs were the biggest pieces of shit of the 20th century. And I'll go on record saying that. But it, it's amazing. It's like, I don't know, people get so weird about ODEs, and they want ODEs for the weirdest systems. Like I was reading the other day on a forum thread, uh, I think on Reddit, where people were demanding, like, we need a good optical drive emulator for the Xbox. These Thompson drives are dying. I'm like, the Xbox is the system that has the most facilities for, like, hard drive loading. Why the fuck would you want an optical drive emulator for the original Xbox? Like, that seems like a total waste of time. Can I, because a, can lot, I, of them, because a lot of them do soft mod, so they need a working DVD drive. I'm pretty well, sure tell them it's Dustin not 1999 would, anymore. Well, I'm I do sure Dustin here would also agree that like that's completely redundant to have an ODE for an OG Xbox. Oh. Well, okay. I mean, yes, uh, we have the Xbox SME here, but I would I would like to s- just just a little comparison. If you look at the Xbox, the PS2, and the Dreamcast, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they came out at this. They were competing at the same time. And I think what the GameCube. I think they're all competing at the same time. And I think without a, I think most people can agree that Xbox was the most forward-thinking console, mostly because it had a hard drive and it had an Ethernet port. That's well, very. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I would say that the Dreamcast, you know, the Dreamcast predates that by three or four years. Uh, I think that the Dreamcast was probably the most for its time in the late '90s. As a console coming out in 1998, was probably the most innovative and forward-thinking system, both architecturally and by design, of the '90s, of the early 2000s. The Xbox certainly. Is basically just a Dreamcast with Microsoft, you know, with like Microsoft's touches on it. As far as I'm concerned, like everything good about the Dreamcast is in the Xbox. I mean, you've got to see the parallels there. I mean, you've got to, you got to do it. I mean, well, at one point there, there they were in talks with making the Xbox backwards compatible with Dreamcast games, but uh, they kind of shit the bed on the deal because Microsoft wouldn't. Um, 
guess, had live support for them? Well, Dreamcast didn't like... The problem was Sega didn't like the uh, shitty Windows CE APIs to make games. And one of the stipulations was, was that, you know, the software would more so have to not rely on Sega's libraries, but they really wanted to push the focus on Windows CE. And we all know how well that went. And that, from what I've read, was the main divisive uh, impasse between Sega and Microsoft and why they never struck a hardware deal together. I will say to this day, the only reason why the uh, Dreamcast lost as hard as it did to the PS2 is because of the goddamn DVD player. Oh, God, I love the Dreamcast. I mean, you, you look, guys, this is an architecture that was designed in the mid-1990s, came out in 98. Those games were phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable arcade to console ports. Like, I, you know, I can't, I will never say anything bad about the Dreamcast. And I'm so glad that it sort of got to live on in the Xbox. The Xbox you know, I, is great. I do wonder if Sega paid for every console they sold to, to uh, a licensing fee to Microsoft. I don't know what the I don't know what like sort of like royalty like deal they had, but I don't think it was much because uh, you know very few Dreamcast games use the Windows CE operating system or, or, or d- development environment. The only games that I can think of right off the top of my head are simpler games like, well, less demanding games, such as Resident Evil 2. I think Resident Evil 2 is really one of the only games I can think of that was actually powered by Windows CE and not Sega's, I can't remember what, Callisto's like the homebrew uh, dev environment. I can't remember what Sega called I cannot remember what Sega called their development environment, but very few Sega titles uh, used uh, Windows CE. So I don't know how well, much they had it, to pay. If, if it's any consultation prize, I think like Resident Evil 2, the PC version, is actually based off the Dreamcast build. So, And it's great. I, my opinion, the best versions of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 are on Dreamcast. Absolutely 100%, in my opinion. Even the GameCube version of Resident Evil 2 and 3 is based off the Dreamcast build. Well, it's based off the PC build, which is based off the Dreamcast build. So it's based off, uh, it's a build of a build. What I've always been curious about with the Dreamcast is if you could push a payload through the, not the Ethernet port or the, was it the modem? Not the modem itself, but that whole G2 port where the modem plugs in. I've always been curious if you can just push a payload and run games through it. Um, um, there's, not, uh, there's nothing in the BIOS. Well, not the... Initiate. I mean, again, not the dial-up or the... Not the dial-up or the modem itself. Just rip the modem off and have that giant port exposed. I've just always been curious. Right, right. There's because the, it's basically an I-support. But from the research I've done, I don't believe there's anything in the BIOS that would initiate the payload that way. And I feel like the VMU has probably been, you know, thoroughly looked into. So that's kind of sad because I feel like, you know, we're both probably getting at the, you know, same idea. I mean, you know, go ahead. 
Well, do do you know who like... made? Do you know who made the CPU in the Dreamcast? Power VR. And uh, and, and SH two was an well. The Power VR is the graphics chip, but the uh, the CPU was an SH four. Yes. So that's, I think it's SH four. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically speaking, when it comes to Dreamcast and loading code. Uh, unfortunately, like your best bet is going to be um, going uh, directly to the source, which is the G- uh, going to be through the G- uh, GD-ROM interface. I mean, uh, sure, there's also the serial port, which was like for early attempts. But from what I can gather research, it wasn't particularly great. So, well, back in the day, I made something in 1999 called the Coder's Cable, and this allowed people to dump Dreamcast games through that slow-ass serial interface, and it would literally take 9 to 12 hours. And back in those days, I was interested in creating self-bootable Dreamcast ISOs. Because when I started doing that in 2000, all Dreamcast games required a Utopia boot disk. Does anyone here remember that beautiful little polygonic 3D reindeer that would spin around because you would have to load your boot disk, Utopia, and then after it loaded, you would have to insert your backup game, and then it would boot? Does anyone go back that far? I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. No, but for the whole 19 hours, the drive would be spinning? Yes, yes, yes. And it's not because the drive was slow. It was because the the bandwidth over that serial connection, and I say 19 hours, it was probably closer to, I think, maybe 8 hours or 9 hours. That's been 20 years ago, but um, it would take that the the bandwidth across that little serial connection – was so limited, and it was over an LPT port, so um, you were really, really, really bored. And it was just one of those things you'd let run overnight. What were you running at the time? Was it still Pentium 1 or Pentium 2? This was a, this, this system was a, Sir, uh, was a Syrix, S-Y-R-I-X, M2. It was a Pentium 2 equivalent, when it was it really wasn't a Pentium 2 equivalent, it was garbage. But it was a let's say it's a sub uh, counterfeit cloned Pentium 2 by a, a processor company called Cerex with 64 megabytes or yeah 64 megs of RAM, Windows 98 second edition. Yeah, because um, uh, 99 2000, I I was running a case an AMD K6, so which is like a Pentium one. Yeah, like, it was incredibly slow. Like, keep in mind, like, uh, early Xbox uh, game dumping, people always said, like, oh, you can dump it through the Xbox. Nope, that's not how release groups did it. That would take too long. They would hack an existing DVD drive uh, in order to be able to dump faster, simply because going through the system, while it does work, let's just say you can probably marathon... Uh, like the entirety of Star Trek front to back by the time that you get one game done. Listen, oh, yeah. let me tell you something. Yeah, I, re- I remember that. I remember that Samsung PC drive with the BIOS that you had to flash onto it. And those drives were going for a lot of money back then just because they were Xbox compatible. 
I remember back in the early days, uh, and to this day, I kept, I have an eMachines PC here with a specific IDE controller just so that if I ever need to, again, just like I did 27 years ago, I can use my Endure Xbox CD and I can hot swap I can hot swap the hard disk in my Xbox so I can soft mod it with my oh, live setup installer. And I, have, I still have the eMachines PC that I've kept here in case there ever comes a day where I need to soft mod a, uh, an Xbox and I need to hot swap the drive with, uh, as it's connected to my computer. Years ago, this is this is forever ago. Did did you ever own those special Via cards, uh, so you can change the, you know, the firmware on the DVD drive in an Xbox 360? No, I well, you know, I did that. I mean, I did, um, I did use what was that? What was it called? Jungle something something. I, I did dump the firmware of my Xbox 360 drive and I loaded it with that with with the modified firmware and I remember when what was it called RGH3 it was when Microsoft came out with the new disk uh authoring process that was supposed to catch pirates and I remember when I think it was called RG there was RGH2 which was okay and then there was RGH3 XGD3 Xbox X3 yeah, I'm thinking of Reset Glitch Hack. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when that came out, I remember having to update the firmware again on the drive uh, to help keep Microsoft from, like, knowing that you were playing games that were burned. That was most notably, I think, with Gears of War 4 or Gears of War 3 when it came out. Gears of War 3, I think, uh, is when that was, like, a serious problem. And if you went online with that game... And you didn't update the firmware on your drive for uh, XHDD3 or whatever, you were going to be fucked by Bill himself. No lube. I think it's funny too that um, Xbox 360 received uh, ODEs. There's like four different ones, four or five. Uh, back in like during its you know hot years of its lifespan, and PS3 also, and you know what, and Wii, but for some reason, sixth gen was skipped. I guess it was just like too hard to produce at that time. What what was the Wii one called? Was the Wii called Woad W O D E? Yeah, Woad. Yeah. There's a couple of them. Uh, Wiki was also another one. Apparently, the Dream uh, the GameCube had an ODE long before the the GC loader came out and no it was way. featured in an episode of my life in gaming. And I didn't know that existed until I rewatched that episode again. And I was like, hold up. What the fuck? Actually, it was, uh, the, the, the ones for Wii. I guess the Wode and the Wiki. I think, uh, they, you could put them in game cubes. Like they were, even though they weren't like, I mean, they weren't designed to work in both, but, like, it, it was just kind of odd that they, like, flowed backwards. They're kind of backwards compatible it, with the older systems. Wasn't it the GameCube, though? Did they have something called the Wasp or the Wasp Fusion yeah. that yeah. allowed you to load software off of a so, SD card that, or something? I think that was originally for the Wii and then Citrus, uh, you know, way back when. He released some adapter. I think it was either Citrus or... 
badass consoles. I can't remember, but they released some one of those two released an adapter for those wiki like those uh, Wasp Fusions. So people were throwing those in GameCubes. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time, a long time. Just a shame that things went horribly, horribly wrong for badass consoles. Because is he still living? Is he still alive? I haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah, the last I heard that people were looking for him legally because he owed, like, allegedly to the tune of, like, $50,000 to, like, all these people who were trying to recoup their money. And they were trying to get together a class action lawsuit or something because he just, you know, allegedly stopped responding to anyone and everyone. I don't know how true that is, but that was the word. And um, that's very unfortunate. Their website is still up. That's amazing. Oh, they yeah, because they recently listed the Hyperboot mod chip for for GameCube, which is uh, and I bought that a couple. Of them. Yeah, and, that was, that wasn't long ago. Yeah, I I still have it, and actually, yeah, I bought it. When was it? Like three years ago? Yeah, I bought it from him, and then I emailed him, and I said, "Hey, man, you have this booting from." looking for Swiss on an SD Gecko. Can you make it look for Swiss on an SD to SP2? And he updated the firmware for me, and he emailed me back, and he's like, yeah, man, it works. So he's still around, and yet he still, you know, kind of yoinked a bunch of people's money over, I think, his GC video solution. So is he just kind of, like, ignoring that at this point? Yeah, I didn't realize that was the same dude that made the Hyperboot. So that's... He still has GC video stuff listed for sale. <laughs> That's not funny, but it is. Still ripping That's off terrible. people to this day. Still ripping people off. Well, God bless them, and that's just, you know, that's America. Actually, while on the subject of GameCube, I do feel that, like, that could be another system where it probably wouldn't hurt to have uh, have another, like, um, alternative booting option, if you will, to the regular CDs. Because much like with the Sega CD and the Dreamcast and the Saturn, GameCube discs aren't very durable. Um, like, not in a landslide. So, you know, having something that can boot, uh, that can do a decent job at bo- booting games off ST would be quite nice. I know. I mean, we've got a bunch. We've got a bunch now, don't we? We've got the we've got well the Pico boot can do that, and the uh, the Kunai mod chip it has 16 megs of memory on board, so you don't even have. For example, if you just wanted to load Swiss uh, with some small applications, or if you just wanted to use your GameCube with Extremes as GBI software with a Game Boy player, all you need is the Kunai uh, mod chip loaded uh, with the uh, apps you want. And you don't even have to have any other sort of storage device. It's the Kunai mod chip's amazing. To, I was actually talking to Extrems about uh, the Kunai and whatnot. Um, so I was talking to them about uh, about like how these each of these solutions compare, and performance wise, in terms of like repl- uh, playback uh, for games and whatnot, they are not identical. What uh, whatsoever. Like, some games just absolutely will not boot through SD to SP2 or will uh, chug like crazy through SD to SP2. Um, the 
that he swears up and down the best solution to date is going through the broadband adapter, and then GC loader is second, and then M2 loader is third, um, currently, and SD to SB2 is somewhere right along the bottom. See the S. See that. See, here's the thing about this. Okay, unless you're being totally pedantic, nobody gives a shit. And let me explain why. No, I'm not saying you're being pedantic. I'm just saying in a general sense when we're talking about SD to SB2. The five or six games that have trouble with SD to SB2, including a Mario Party game, most people don't care about. All of the games that people are using a GameCube to play, play perfectly fine over that slow serial interface. All of those games that... Okay, the vast majority of those games that people want to play on, on GameCube run perfectly fine, and run at full speed with the SD to SB2. I just, you know, the thing is, we've got to put it in the proper context. The SD to SB2 is a $4 to $8 little chip. The GC loader is a couple hundred bucks now, I guess. And all of the, and what you can buy, you can't even get the GC loader anymore. The only thing you can get is a GC loader clone, which can't even load any games. I don't even know why people buy those. But I, I think, you know, it'd be great to have another ODE, but I, I really think that the vast majority of people would be completely satisfied with the SD to SB2. I have them all, and I will tell you right now, I use my SD to SB2 uh, uh, GameCube more than I use my GC Loader GameCube or my GameCube with the broadband adapter to load games off of attach, or network-attached storage. I mean, right. I, I totally agree with you there. And uh, I, even with consoles like the Panasonic Q, the easiest install is the uh, Pico Boot with the SD to SB2. Like personally, um, I have a GC Loader uh, GameCube, but I also have an Indigo GameCube that I rebuilt from the ground up because when I got it, it looked like the end result of a very, very angry. Um, marital exchange um but you know i got uh running and i'm looking like i kind of want to keep the disk drive on this but i want to kind of look into like the best alternative solution and that's when i learned about m.2 loader which while it's still not a product that we can have yet i'm very interested in i'm still very interested in it because um, you're effectively installing a solid state drive in your GameCube and you can boot games off of that. That, granted, I don't know how you plan on putting games into it, but you know what? I hope that they actually come with instructions to figure that out. Um, but if all goes well, that might end up taking over as my, uh, my main driver GameCube and the GC loader GameCube just might uh, might be put up for sale so I can uh, fund other modifications. But um, the uh, but as much as I do like the GC loader, I do love uh, uh, the use of SD cards. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes, even though uh, the discs aren't very durable, I kind of miss putting my games inside the drive and just playing the games, you know, the old-fashioned way. Well, my biggest, the biggest utility for me with SD to SB2 is that it keeps, A, it keeps the original um, optical intact. B, 
it affords me the ability, if I want to, and I'm the kind of person that wants to, to back up and archive the games that I physically own digitally so that I can either keep them on that SD card, I can push them onto a storage server somewhere. And, and, you know, it's, it's the idea that I can both load games naturally in a stock form for all intents and purposes, or I can back up my games, or I can load 99.9% of the games that I'd ever want to play without any problems on this little $6 thing that plugged into the bottom of my GameCube. I, I really think the SD to SB2 um, should be given more than just a look over by by people. I, it really is. the You cannot beat the price to value. I mean, that thing is just... And that's 99% software, right? I mean, we're talking about a little SD interface, but really what makes that shine is it's not the little thing you plug in. It's the software that uh, MUKID and Extrems have tuned to take advantage of it through Swiss. That's oh. really the shining light there. Zach, Actually, what, Zach, what do you use for archiving? Is it, is it an option in Swiss? You can. What I like to use is a piece of software that runs either on either on the GameCube or the Wii, and it's called CleanRip. And it will give you a lossless rip, but what it'll also do is it'll run a checksum as it's ripping to make sure that there are no errors and that your rip is 100% clean and free of any, um, um, of any um, defects. Clean rip. Fantastic. And it, does, and, and it backs up the Red Book uh, audio tracks? It does a complete raw sector by sector um, uh, dump. Yes. Actually, Voltar, um, it's uh, you actually reminded me. So, uh, Kunai, you uh, you brought up the Kunai chip. I actually uh, was talking to Extrems about the Kunai. Apparently, the other half of Swiss MU Kid wasn't really too happy about uh, the Kunai. Uh, about someone putting Swiss directly on the uh, Kunai chip. I'm not sure exactly why he would be upset about that. I'm guessing it's uh, uh, the concern. It, it, this is just me speculating. I think the concern is it's another variable added to a long list of other variables that Swiss has to account for. In, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying whether it, that, that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something that I uh, heard from uh, one of the two developers. Look, I don't know anything about that, but, um, you know, as far as like the, the politics or the bureaucratics of that stuff, I try to stay out of that crap. Um, you know, I, I don't know what harm could come from loading Swiss onto um, the Kunai any more than what harm could come from, you know, programming your Pico boot to initialize or boot Swiss off of a memory card or off of an SD card. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, period. I, I, I think that's, again, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I don't know, I know, understand thoroughly or exactly what their point of contention is there, but that just seems <laughs> kind of silly to me. Like, who cares? I, I will say, like, the one, uh, the reason why I brought it up to extremes because I was concerned about updating uh, Swiss on that. And like, 
hold up, like, how would you go about updating Swiss on the kunai? And he mentioned that you can't. I'm like, oh. Well, you could, but you, you wouldn't be updating it. You would just be installing a new – you would just be overriding the version that lives in memory on the kunai with the latest version, right? And that's what you would be doing because you can write memory. You can write – you can install whatever apps you want into that 16 megabytes of memory. It's not It's not an OTP. In other words, it's not a one-time programmable. Like I don't know how you – I don't know what he means when he says you, you couldn't update it. Like you, you can update it, right? Uh, I think um... – <sighs> I'm not sure what he meant by that, by that either, because I was trying to see if, like, if there was any possible way to do so, um, given the fact that, like, as as far as I know, like, there wouldn't. T- uh, I'm not sure if there would be a way to just replace the, uh, uh, to just swap out the uh, the updated Swiss file onto the Kunai itself. I don't have a Kunai, so I don't know anything about like accessing uh its fi- uh, files through a software level so i wanted to confirm with extremes since you know him and emu kid developed swiss to see if like hey do you know of a way for me to like get uh get access into a uh, kunai to update it so uh-huh. that way um you know if you ever release a new update i'm not kind of sol yeah, he might. He might. Uh, I see the problem being if the kunai is sold, which is a commercial product, and it has Swiss bundled with it, which is you know freeware uh, or open source. Uh, he's not getting any kickbacks from the sales. Yeah, I don't think that's really the. I don't think that's really it because you know Man Cloud and, and the creators of the kunai, they're not unscrupulous people, and when they sell that. The, to my understanding, because I talked to, I'm, I'm pretty sure I talked to Jan at Consoles for You, because I did a little video on the Kunai and installing it, and the way it was explained to me was, a, it's an open source chip, so the problem, well, actually, the problem right there could be, it's not a matter of the creators doing something like that, but anybody can spin this up or make their own version of it because it's open source, um, and it's, I think it's commercially available to to be reproduced. That won't stop. I mean, you know, if 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 Buttfunks, for example, decided they wanted to to spin up this mod chip, um, nothing's going to stop them from selling it with the incentive that Swiss is already pre pre installed. So I do understand if that is their point. I do understand their apprehension of supporting something that could, you know. It's kind of being taken advantage of, not by the creators, but by by somebody, by a bad actor taking advantage of the generosity of a group of developers who decided to be kind and open source something. I, I get that, if that is their point. That makes sense. Uh, that could be what they, what they were inferring, yeah. Um, actually, what's uh, something... That I just thought of with uh, your recent GameCube build was the focus on the Pluto board. I actually do own a couple of those Pluto boards still, back from when I used to install them more frequently. 
And one thing I have been looking into is repurposing them for DOL 101 installs. And I've done one to test. And from what I can find is that it just would not hold a stable image. Um, Like it would sometimes work, sometimes wouldn't. And the, but the thing is though, when comparing like um, pinouts between an 001 with, uh, with its uh, digital to analog encoder and whatnot, like it's identical. They're identical. The only difference is that the, the 101 drops the digital mechanical connector it's exactly the same thing with the the exception being the back panel not having the provision for that for that connector and of course the connector is simply not existing on the board but it's all that that's really interesting that you had video dropping on the 101 i don't i don't quite understand the causation for that yeah i don't understand it either i was talking uh, i i was talking to someone about it i don't remember who but they said like there's uh, there's an EMI filter in between the output of uh, the uh, connector and the um, and the uh, DAC, and I was like, surely that wouldn't be causing any issues. But probably not. Probably not. So, I don't see that being being an issue. So I did look into like uh, Dan Coon's uh, solution because I remember that he did something similar. And what I did notice, though, is that he did add resistor arrays uh, along the data lines. And I'm wondering, like, could it be a signal integrity issue that's causing the the video to cut in and out? Because... he could have. He th- those could be dampening resistors. Those could be that could be a a back termination for those digital inputs. So that um, so with the digital stuff, especially like if if what what can happen sometimes is if you leave a digital i well that's the digital output if you leave a digital output or input floating um, sometimes the device has trouble discerning what logic state, even though the thing's outputting digital video in its own proprietary way, it can be difficult to understand what logic state that digital IO is doing. So a lot of times you'll have a dampening resistor or you'll have a back termination resistor set in series on all of these, all of your data lines so that they invoke a logic state. So if a signal isn't high, video's not high, you've got a pull-down resistor, you've got a pull-up resistor to 3 volts. So anytime the video is not active, it's the, the, line, is going to, is the line is going to drop into to a 3-volt it's going to drop into three volts, and therefore it'll have a logic state that's not floating, and the device on the other end will know at all times when something is active and when something is not. Maybe that's what Dan did, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but my Are you whole... talking about the GC Duel? Are you talking about the, G- the GC Duel or something else that he made? No, I'm talking about something else he made, not the GC Duel. I'm talking about the... Uh... He made a 101 modification that replaced the multi-out with a recreation of the uh, GameCube's digital output. And that's okay. Uh, and he, as for what he did with the uh, composite video, he rerouted it to a TRRS jack. Um, but uh, he made that for a little bit. And 
I was curious, like, how did he achieve that? Because, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here trying to get uh, get this damn game one oh one running with digital video, and it's basically showing me disco lights at this point. I'm pretty sure I've just been te- transported back to the seventies. So, uh, I look at it, and the only thing that I could see that was different from what I did and what he did was that he had a dampening resistor arrays uh, along the uh, signal path, and that's what kind of clued me in. Like it could be a signal integrity issue because. Well- does your um, audio drop? Does your digital audio drop? Everything too? drops. Like, um, it's it's, the, your, it's probably your clock. It's probably the clock signal then, or the or the voltage supply. I guarantee you, it's either the clock supply because I had this problem too, and I had to source the clock way back on the encoder. So, clock I think is pin one or pin two on the digital port where a lot of people solder to. Well, I was having a lot of trouble with an intermittent with an intermittent picture problem, and rather than sourcing the clock from that pin directly on the on the digital port, I went all the way back to the uh, to the uh, digital to the to the, uh, to the DAC, and I pulled clock from the DAC way before it got to the digital port, and it remedied that issue. Yeah, and- give that a shot. Yeah, I'll definitely look uh, look into that later when I get another DLL one on one. Yeah, um, that that old one ended up getting re- uh, reverted back to stock. Um, I it's something I've been looking into because I feel like you know these Pluto boards they're readily available, but I'm like, surely there's got to be something you can use it for. Like they can't be totally useless, and. That's why I was investigating the 101 because that's the one scenario that I can think of where the Pluto board could actually have a use. Since well, you know, the, the, mostly empty listen, space in the back. The Pluto board is is perfectly reasonable and it's it's a viable option. the The only problem I have with the Pluto board is that it's 2023 and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it's not it's not expensive. It's like sixty five or seventy dollars, but it is a general purpose development board. It is not designed for the Wii. It is not designed for the GameCube. I, I just think that we can do better. And for seventy bucks, I'm pretty sure that Electron Shepherd or somebody could. Well, no, no, I take that back. We need to get away from the Spartan Two. We need to port. GC video over to maybe one of these more readily available Chinese FPGAs so that we have a viable option uh, and we can create GC video products uh, using newer or more readily available uh, silicon and we can create, uh, you know, those mods specifically for the Wii and specifically for the GameCube. I've been looking a lot at the a lot of the the sort of the FPGA, uh, you know, it's no longer about um, Xilinx and Lattice and Intel. I mean, like, there's some there's some really cool stuff happening uh, with a lot of these Chinese vendors with when it comes to uh, embedded development. And yeah. I've been paying a little bit of attention to that, and I'm pretty excited. Yeah, um, the, the Tang Nano, um, especially the 20K version that just came out, that, uh, based on what I can see, that can most likely handle GC video just fine um, and has enough digital pins to be able to interface with any sort of RVL hardware. Um, the only RVL or uh, 
dolphin I, I I'm like getting the fucking acronyms mixed up but long story short it can handle GC video um, I know some people briefly looked into it to try to see if it would work with NES. Nope, there's not enough data pens. Um, so I, I I think it can happen. It's just a matter of someone actually doing it. I can tell you why it hasn't been done yet. So, please, please. This video is very interesting. It's actually, if you actually read the code, it's actually like complex as hell, actually. Like, no joke, like it's pretty complex. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of surprised the dude was able to pull it off. But what he did was using, uh, I believe, a Z80 um, software that you have to build your... Like, like, the build process for just building a flashable binary for that, it's very non-standard. So usually, for any listeners, usually, um, you know, if you have a microcontroller or an FPGA, you use the, you know, the software to innovate, the IDE to just compile the binary and then you flash it to some spy flash and then oh let's see it runs on the chip and it does what you want it to do. But the problem with G C video is you have to build a Z eighty soft core CPU, then you have to build a DVI encoder ROM, then you and then you don't even use the Xilinx proprietary software to generate the flashable binary. So so let me say that one more time. You have you have you have all of the files, all of the, all of the code, like everything's laid out and ready, but you don't use IST to generate a flashable binary for GC video. Uh, the, there's there's two big, well, there's actually really one huge thing that makes porting hard. And the one huge thing, I well, there's two things. Well, one is really trivial. The other is not trivial. Um, one of them is that, I mean, it uses a PLL generator proprietary design links but that's not but that that part's not very hard to overcome you you know any if anyone's ever done any um i, I know dustin has de- definitely done some fpga stuff because it's stellar um really any software can just generate your own clocks for your pll backbone so but that's a very trivial thing the other thing that is actually kind of hard that i don't understand very well is that um i his name's icorb is the guy that wrote the yeah icorb um, he used VHDL primitives that are proprietary to Xilinx for parts of his code. And that's the hard stopper right there. That's why you can't just move everything to go in and just click yeah. compile. That's specifically why. You, you know, you think we looked in too, uh, and the soft core is probably one of the biggest. It might be able to be ported to another Xilinx chip. Easily, yeah, but at that easily, point, quote unquote, you might as well re- just writing, doing it in a day. Work. No, like that, that's not how, yeah, it, it's really complex. There's a lot of small gotchas. Uh, rewriting the soft core is probably a better idea. I do wish it was for GC. I wish GC video was on going though, that would be like way cheaper. It would be possible. I mean, uh, I helped reverse engineer uh, some of the PLL uh, blocks on GoWen. I so, was not expecting the GC video to be that complicated. Jesus Christ. Dude, it's, it, it, I'm not going to say it sucks. That's not a nice thing to say. But it's just it's just not trivial to pull. He wrote in the code, he wrote in the GitHub that it's, oh, it should be portable to any FPGA. But it's like, well, crap. I, you have to be kind of like... A pretty good wizard at this stuff to port it to another 
FPGA, but I really do wish it was ported to go in. And you don't uh, you don't need to use the twenty k. You can use the the nine k or the four k board. Oh, um, how old is it now? How old is it now? I mean, my God, GC oh my video God. is what almost almost ten years old. Almost a few eight years old. It's it's pretty old, and the FPGA that's used, I think, is four thousand logic cells. So, theoretic. I mean, depending on how many bits, how many RAM bits are inside of that chip that's being widely used, you might be able to port it to the four K. Go is in, it's not the nine K. But again, those VHDL primitives and the uh, I think LVDS outputs need to be changed. Like, there's just a lot of stuff that has to get changed. Hmm. Is it four K? It could be, be done, and I mean, the man that does it or the person that does it would be a saint. Honestly, he really would. I'm going to do it. Don't worry. You want to see somebody make a GC video dongle that is cheaper than Bitfox, just because I hate them. It's my mic working. Actually, um, that's uh, that's kind of the other re- uh, the one big thing I will say though. Replacing the, um, replacing the digital outport with a Pluto board. While it was practical when GC Video was new, it's so impractical now due to the fact that we have external um, solutions for GC Video in the form of like the Carby. I like the internal mod. I like the internal mod. I don't want to fuck with any plug-and-play shit. I just want a digital-digital conversion, lossless, both in video and audio. I want it to be an HDMI port. I don't want it to be some silly dong. I love the dongles, and I'm not talking shit about plug-and-play. But the fact of the matter is, it's in the system. It works with effectively almost any television or any monitor. More importantly, my main interest is in is getting that getting that lossless signal into the retro tink 4k because my god when you guys see that you're not going to freaking believe it it's phenomenal i have the retro tink 4k planned out and the way i look at it is i'm gonna both love and hate mike at the same time love him because he made a 4k scaler hate him because now i gotta redo my entire fucking setup from scratch (laughs) you know there are systems that really don't that that are great but they don't really benefit from from I'm sorry from from a lossless output like the Nintendo 64 the lossless output has plenty of perks that make it you know superior to like an analog output for the sake of simplicity you can just connect it to your television you don't have to have any sort of intermediary video processor but visually the differences are quite indiscernible as far as I'm concerned ooh the drink you Sorry. What? 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 No. Um, what? Continue on. Um, there, you, there was something interesting you brought about uh, brought up with uh, with the N sixty four, but I want to hear the rest of your thought. Well, so 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 you know the N sixty four, the perks of having a digital output on the Nintendo sixty four really have everything to do with convenience and nothing to do with like the visual improvements that you get because the disparities between like uh, the analog RGB being upsampled and digitized as opposed to like having going having a lossless signal digitized and upscaled and upsampled is extremely negligible to the point to where I can't it doesn't even matter to me it's so small but things like the especially things like the Dreamcast the, like you know those things and the and the GameCube 
you know, those systems make a whole lot of sense. And I'm just happy to see, I've talked about this before, I'm happy to see these cheaper options for these systems to have digital output that you don't have to spend a lot of money on because the video processors where all the horsepower is and, and these mods will never be outdated as long as you have, you know, a nice new video processor. That's all I was going to say. Okay. So this is going to full circle back to the Game Boy discussion we had earlier. High speed IOs, um, N64 HDMI mod. So this is something that, uh, and this also plays into the segment, what's on AliExpress? Because, yeah, this is the new thing that suddenly showed up out of fuck nowhere. Um, I took a closer... So, High Speed IO is a company that is known to be... Uh, known to make budget-friendly-er versions of, like, the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance screen mods. They basically just take whatever Funny Play's doing, make a cheaper version of it, and then spit it out. But the catch is it's much more bare bones in terms of feature set. I looked into the this HDMI mod. So it can output 480p, 720p, 1080p. And those are your options, as well as changing the color of the screen. The reason why it's like that, it's the same fucking OSD as their Game Boy Color um, screen mod. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. So it is... The, there's a reason why it's uh, like 40, 50 bucks. It is as bare fucking bones as possible. It scales the image and changes the screen. Nothing else. No deep blur, no 240p output, nothing. You don't get any of that other fancy shit. It's literally just here's an N64 in HD, which kind of defeats the fucking purpose, but uh, because at least the cheaper option still had a deep blur option, but whatever. I don't even, it doesn't even look that good. That's the thing, like, you know, I, not to toot my own dick here or anything, but like, a $30 little video buffer uh, with the N64 will take it just as far, for the most part, as any of these other mods, providing that you have a good video processor. Like, you can deblur the Nintendo 64 with a $30 video amp and using the, using the, the resources of the RetroTink 5X or the 4K it can drop those extra pixels, and it can perfectly de-blur that video. Like, de-blur is something that should just be standard on those digital mods. Like, if you're going to the trouble of selling a digital mod, and you can't de-blur what is already blurred, you're a fucking loser. Sorry, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean so, that. I will say, I like, meant that. <laughs> I will say, like... I get it. I get the appeal of this. It's literally as straightforward as possible. It's a digital mod for your Nintendo 64. I get it. That doesn't change the fact that this shit is uh, is still inferior to even the uh, the previous king of budget N64 digital mods. And I mean king as in terms of price. Um, and that is the... Uh, 64 HD uh, by po uh, Postman. That thing's phenomenal. Actually, yeah, that thing's I phenomenal have, for the price. Yeah, I have one of those kits on hand right now, as well as an N64 Junior shell that is designed specifically to house the kit. So I'm yeah. looking forward to trying it out. 
well, that's a great price to perform. That's a great price to value. Like the the uh, the the sixty four HD is is great. He, the Gamebox did a Postman did a fantastic job with that, and he's continuing to update it. He's just released some firmware uh, to fix a few other little things. I um, I love these. You know, these things aren't going to be cheap. Like if if something's well engineered, I don't care to pay a hundred and hundred fifty dollars for it if it's made well. But, like, we've got to have, like, a reasonable ceiling here. Like, when these mods start to get up past a couple hundred bucks, that's when I start looking at diminishing returns, and I ask myself, okay, are we really doing anything meaningful here, or are we just charging a lot of money for something that doesn't have a very solid return? So I think, like, mods like the the Xbox HD the uh hd the n64 hd um the G, especially gc video is probably the pinnacle of this like these are very affordable modifications that are um meaningful in their value and will 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 never like i said as long as you've got a, especially if you have a third like a like an external video processor these things never go out of date you'll never have to that's the bottom line. You will never have to mod your video game console ever again as far as video stuff is concerned. Yeah, and uh, I even have, like, a my uh, current GameCube is modded with GC Dual. It goes through a uh, an external DAC, which goes HDMI, YPBPR, and it's fed back to my RetroTank 5X. Why? Because it looks good. It uh, if you handle push the scaling onto an external scaler, and even uh, in, if you really need to, uh, the digital analog conversion to an external source, it's going to look way better than the system itself doing it. You know, I I had to explain this to somebody because they were like they were talking about the the new uh, component to HDMI converter, the two hundred dollar one for the Xbox, and they're like, you know. I could do this, you know, I'm buying this because, you know, it's going to be a lot better than my TV. And I'm like, let me, what, what this device is doing, it's not doing any scaling or processing. It's just transcoding analog video into the digital domain. Your television most likely is doing the exact same thing, only it's probably doing a better job of that than whatever little um, off-the-shelf part that they put in that Xbox that video converter. Like a lot of people think that because just because something's externalized or this is a component to HDMI adapter, like well what do you think what do you think happens when you plug component cables into your to your to your television set? It's like, you know, it might be a little bit better, but it's not like it's not like the the be all kill all solution. And um I, I don't know. It's like there's just a lot of misinformation out there, right? Like about what devices can do and what devices can't do. Um, it's like when I was talking about when I was talking about the the, the component to HDMI Xbox converter being two hundred dollars. Somebody commented on the Twitter the Twitter uh, my Twitter feed that well the the RetroTINK five X is three hundred dollars. It's like explain that. It's like it's really simple. The RetroTINK five X is a very intricate. And, and and very sophisticated video processor. This transcoder does no video processing. That's like that's that's akin to comparing. Uh, that's akin to comparing a layer two switch to a layer three router. 
that's a networking thing. Maybe not not everyone gets that, but but you know, it's like I don't know. It's like people. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm hurting inside. I'm hurting. I thought about doing a troll post where I was gonna. I I I wanted to buy all the parts from Amazon just for this one picture, and it was gonna say, "Hey guys." I just got my early sneak peek of the uh, Eon Xbox HD, and it was going to be like the Xbox H. It was going to be a cheap uh, Xbox component cable rubber band to a cheap component to HDMI scaler, which is then duct taped to a cheap router and splitter. And I started looking into that as a joke. The fucking sad part about it is. All those parts individually are not even a quarter of what that goddamn uh, dongle costs. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's not a matter. Like, everyone needs to make money and price yourself. Don't give away your labor. Don't give away your products. But the fact of the matter is I could buy not a three-port, but I could buy like a ten-port. A hundred megabit fast Ethernet switch for eight dollars on Amazon, and then I could buy an HDMI splitter for about twelve dollars on Amazon, and then I could buy a really nice Porta uh, YPBBR to HDMI converter for about fifteen dollars. I could spend probably forty-five, maybe maybe fifty dollars to replicate all of the features of this two hundred dollar thing that they're selling, and more than more more than likely. The thing that I put together is going to run and be a lot better. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, you know, like, I just, I feel like the, we're, we're jamming as many things as we can into this box so that we can justify the outrageous price that we're asking. Because, unfortunately, there are these companies that have popped up that are just like as-seen-on-TV infomercials. But if you order now, we're going to include all of this bullshit that nobody cares about. Yes, because when I am at a LAN tournament playing Halo, the first thing that I care about is having an HDMI splitter for that sweet video capture. Like I, you know, I don't know. I'll keep. I'll stop talking about it. You know, it's late. I, it's it's one thirteen. I'm hungry. I think I need to go nuke my corn dog. Uh, but I had a great time. Okay. Oh, is it? Did, did, is everyone gone? Nah. No. Oh, one more thing. One more thing I'd like to say about component cables. You know, the Dreamcast component cables are coming. Uh, I talked to Steve HD Retrovision, and according to him, things are moving along beautifully. Um, there is some final touches being done on the dev board that will be sent and dispersed uh, so that the cables can be tested in mass. Uh, but I was playing around with the uh, the prototype production samples that I have here, and you know, Dreamcast looks really good uh, component wise uh, when upsampled by the 4K uh, retro team. I'm just going to say that for the record. And the Xbox, uh, the analog doesn't look as good. The Xbox's analog output isn't very good. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm telling you. So speaking of uh, Xbox component cables, um, uh, Dustin, you might be able to answer this question, but why is it that only the Microsoft 
HD adapter gives decent output and anything else today looks poor. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I remember correctly, Dustin, you mentioned that a lot of the uh, problems that the Xbox's analog output um, has can actually be fixed through um, uh, software, can it not? Right. Disabling uh, scaling and things like that. Um, it, it's such a wide topic because most of the games do run at quote-unquote 480, which could be like all kinds of different internal resolutions, pixel aspect ratios, et cetera, et cetera. So. Actually, actually, no, I think, uh, was it you or someone else that made a very cheeky tweet about the, uh, the Eon Xbox HD? It was me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it. You know, I'm not competing against an external device, but, you know, 200 bucks. Come on. I don't know how any vendor in good conscience could oh. ever support something like that. I just don't understand it. I don't know, especially, like I said, when you look at the stuff that the Eon's made in the past, especially that Super 64, I, I just can't see how in good conscience you could ever be okay defending maybe, some bullshit like that. Maybe between the hundred, you know, like 10,000 subscriber YouTube channels pushing it and things like that, you know, a $200 device can maybe but I break. think that's really it. I think that's really it. I think it's like, this is what, I, you know, I'm not going to go over it again, but this is exactly what I was lamenting about earlier. It's sad. All of the good people who don't have a large voice but make insanely good products that are really affordable, they get left behind because, you know, because of reasons. And right. I think I think that I think that it would be great. This is why I don't review products on my one hundred thousand cha- uh, subscriber YouTube channel because I don't want people to. Well, I don't want to say that, but it's really difficult. You're Whenever you do reviews like this, about products like this, you're not going – first of all, obviously you're not going to please everybody. But the trolls and the toxic haters, they can really go out of your way to make your life just shitty. And that's something that I just don't want to deal with right now because I'm the kind of person that would find somebody in real life and probably beat the shit out of them. So I can't do that kind of stuff anymore. I can't get upset about stuff like that. And I just want to help people. And I just want people to make – I don't want to steer – that's another thing. And I can say – I'll speak for Bob on this too. I don't want to steer anyone into any direction. And I don't think Bob wants to steer anyone or anyone that I know that you know does stuff like that. I, they're not interested in steering anyone in any direction. They just want to make sure that people have all of the information that they need or that they can obtain in order to make the most sensible, well-informed decision for themselves. And that just doesn't—that just doesn't happen enough. And I'm going to shut the hell up about it. I'm going to shut <laughs> it up. So I've actually 
So I I've built up maybe a little bit of reputation of being the guy who likes to collect clone consoles like obsessively, like to the point where I have like two shells of them. My in- my intent was to I want to do a proper review and analysis of these clone consoles. And the reason why is because a lot of the modern reviews I see of clone consoles is, hey guys, check out this clone console. And it's just literally them rambling while playing video games. And like, overall, it's such a good product. I'm like, did you not fucking hear how janky the audio was? Um, and I wanted to do uh, do more proper analysis. Like, you know, hey, this is how it performs. This is how it looks. And I'm not necessarily, and I don't want to necessarily say you should or should not buy it. I I want to want to do more reviews that says here's what it looks like, here's how it performs compared to original hardware, and uh, here are it uh, it uh, here's what it can do, here's what it can't do. Make up your own mind from there. But here's the problem I ran into when I started testing a lot of the modern clone consoles. They are all based off the same fucking chipset and they perform identically to the point where I would be a broken goddamn record if I were to review each of these systems individually. So I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'm not even going to bother reviewing them because I'll just be repeating myself. You know, it's interesting. I, um, the, yeah, the clone stuff, especially the NES stuff, it's all based on the same, it's all based on the same, um, um, it's all based on the same chipset over there, and I can't think of the name of it. I know those chips. I'm not talking about the UMC CPUs and PPUs. I'm talking about the. Uh, I'm talking... And, uh, media tag. Yeah. You're talking about the NES kind of chip. I'm talking about the yeah the glob top because the the the, the specific oh, glob okay. top. It's got all of the. Uh, it's interesting. The glob top has. It has um, it has RGB outputs, and when you interface those to when you but when you when you when you drive those out, the video is incredibly crappy, incredibly crappy. Uh, but this has been seven or eight years ago. But but for, for example, the Retron HD, it uses this glob top uh, in OAC. And all of those, all of those, all of those clones use the same NOAC for the most part, but the video was just horrible, absolutely terrible. And uh, look, you know, if a clone console gets you by, and if you don't mind the the funky sound or the terrible colors, like who cares? Like as long as you enjoy it, you enjoy it. But when I see YouTubers get on here and they just rave and herald this thing as like a completely perfectly reasonable replacement to the real hardware, I'm like, you're just a fucking shill, and you just need to go fuck off into the ether, you son of a bitch. So, actually, believe it or not, yes, they generate RGB, but it's not meant for TV signals. I was talking to someone who actually knows a bit more history about these clone consoles. They're made Those... for TFTs. It's, it's to drive LCDs. It's yeah, made to drive it... LCDs. It's uh, it's made for L- uh, for LCD. So basically, these are the fucking NOAC portable consoles shoved in a new body. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Well, you know that's okay. I mean, it's cool you can repurpose that, but it's just it's amazing how it, it's one thing if somebody who's just in the who, who just likes video games and they're getting into retro games, if they make a video about that product, that clone system, and they like it. 
Well, that's understandable because from their optics, maybe they don't have a very good frame of reference of how good this stuff could really be. But when I see like a when a, a large established channel who you know have access to good gear, not necessarily expensive gear, but gear that would be commensurate or representative of how the experience really could be, and they have that affiliate link, and they're talking about how amazing this thing is when it's a piece of fucking shit. That's that's infuriating to me, and I don't like that. And um, that is that's still a terrible problem. And I've said this for years. Things like brands such as Hyperkin, they don't. People think that they they live and die in brick and mortar stores. That is not true. The only reason companies such as Hyperkin continue to exist is simply because of the grifters and the shillers on social media who propagate and spread their wares. It's just it's it's all perpetuated by influencers, just like anything else today. They make decent controllers these days, they're but that's scout. about it. Yeah, so their Super Nintendo Scout controller was really good. I have one. It's really good. It's just they suck at video game consoles like they always have. I have um I have all kinds of Hyperkin products here, and 90% of it's garbage, but the controllers at least are pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I got a pretty cool product the other day. I had, you know, I've had it for a while. I bought, so I was playing with, um, I was working with the Xbox 360, and I was, I've, I was learning about um, the new methods for uh, glitching, RGH3. And I have this really nice programmer for the Xbox that has a nice – it's amazing. It's even got a USB-C uh, – it has a USB-C cable on it. And it's, it's fast. It's nice. I think it's called the X-Flasher Pro. Works really good. But I also have – I was going to do a video on this. Again, back to the RP2040 stuff, there is a – Xbox uh, NAND reader and writer uh, called the Pico Flash. Maybe Pico Flash or Pico Flasher. And it's free. Well, minus the kit, minus the $7 for the uh, Raspberry Pico. And it's a little bit slower, but um, it's amazing too. And I think I'm going to do a video on both of these. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, like, uh, you uh, you were talking about like Xbox 360 modding. I had remembered that to hack the DVD drive, uh, one of the methods that people proposed was drilling into the uh, silicon. What are your thoughts about that? When you say drilling into the silicon, do you, do you mean like decapping like the chip or something? Or what do you no, mean? No, I mean. You take a hand drill and you drill the fucker in to break a pin to set it to write mode. Oh, is there like a pin on there that if like if it's floating, it 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 will the drive will be it won't be in a read only mode. Like it'll you you can have write functionality to it and change the firmware. Right, there's a bond wire that you can break. Is that on the DVD drive or on the console itself? Drive. Yeah, it's one of the controller chips for one of the particular drives. It's called the kamikaze hack because you got one shot. I mean, you know, 
that stuff's kind of cool. I, I think if you did it in a very controlled and careful manner, uh, I would just assume to, uh, if it's not thick epoxy, I would probably t- just take a Dremel and I would very carefully borrow out all of the uh, all of the epoxy so I could expose the pin, and then I would manipulate manipulate the pin that way. I don't think I would be I don't think I would be doing that blindly. I would be too nervous. Actually, um, apparently Microsoft even accounted for that. You can't even lift the pin uh, to disconnect it from circuit. It will still be uh, still be connected. Is it grounded, or is it is, is it is it tied to like a voltage source, or what is it? Is it tied to what's it tied to? I, if I remember correctly, it's grounded. Okay, I was about to say if it was if it's tied to like if it's tied to some sort of other like trace, it'd be cool if you could just cut the trace. But if it's tied to ground plane, yeah, you're not taking that out unless you unless you cut it out. That sucks. That that reminds me though. Do you remember when the Wii started getting uh, heavily exploited by mod chips, and so Nintendo started putting globs of uh, potting material over the drive controller, over the Q, the quad flat, the QFPs of the uh, of the uh, chips uh, for the for the Wii drives. That I did not know. That? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They became really difficult to modify because. This is before I think the Wii key came out, but um, or the Wii key too. But the chips were submersed in potting material, and therefore there was no way you could like do a pin attack to install a mod chip, and you had to. It was a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's like in two thousand seven, I think two thousand seven, two thousand eight, back when I was a young young man. All those years ago, I'm, I'm 52 now. But yeah. well, listen, not... guys. I, what? What? Who is this? Uh, no, I was just gonna make a quick little comment saying, I don't know. I kind of think think it's kind of funny to see how companies would uh, back then would do all these like really weird ass physical alterations in like some desperate attempt to uh, prevent hacking, and yet people still find a way to hack the shit anyways. You're never going to keep people out. But, you know, remarkably, things such as the um, – I don't think any of the – have any of the newer – the newer – I don't mean – I don't know what the newest Xbox is. But are there any exploits or cir- security circumvisions for the newer Xbox hardware? No. That's and pretty locked tight, isn't it? Previous Xbox – uh, what was it? Xbox Series X? I th- or no, no. I... Was it the Scorpio? Project Scorpio? That model or whatever, or that line, that generation of Xboxes, those were never hacked because apparently they enabled the dev mode and you, know, you pay, I think you pay like four or five bucks and you get dev mode, you can run emulators in a sandbox environment and because wow. of that, nobody wanted to really hack it because it's like, well, I can run RetroArch now. So no one. So yes, to this day, no one has hacked that Xbox. Absolutely nobody. Because I guess there's no need to, if you already have access to those facilities, other, other, other than piracy, like that's all I would want to use all that really nice, powerful hardware for us. They have a really good RetroArch, you know, system. Yep. That's wonderful. I guess they kind of beat them at their own game. It's funny what happens when you kind of give people access to things. 
all the bad stuff tends to, for the most part, go away. I think Microsoft is following more of like Gabe Newell's philosophy in terms of piracy. The problem with piracy uh, is not so much the idea of playing games for free. It's an availability issue. So, yeah, if, I for sure. If you, if you give them the tools to access this uh, this legacy hardware, they're not going to try to hack your shit. They're just going to play the legacy software. That's the whole thing right now with like, you know, the Wii. Like, you know, everyone's people have their opinions about, you know, preservation, obviously. But like, look. okay, Contra Rebirth, Castlevania Rebirth and Gradius Rebirth are unbelievably good games that were released as WiiWare on the Wii. Can't get them anymore. Is it wrong to pirate them? No. Is it ethically wrong to pirate them? No. Yet people still want to give you a shit for it. Like, if we don't pirate this stuff and if we don't preserve it, preservation is piracy. It's going away forever. And then the bootlickers will say, well, if Nintendo wanted you to have it, they would make a, an HD compilation for you to buy. It's like, well, you know what? I don't have to keep buying the same thing over and over again just because Nintendo decides to reissue it so they can uh, create a new revenue stream for themselves. It's like... I it's I don't understand people who think that you should have to buy the same piece of software over and over again in order just to legally own it. I, I think that's crazy. That's I think that's nuts. Right. I don't need Nintendo's permission to play a game from like fucking nineteen eighty six. Uh or even like just a little newer. Like the game is old as shit that no one else is gonna be making money uh money off of it anyways so why would they fucking care why would i fucking care if they cared i don't know it's people are get so weird when you talk about not not you know you've got good piracy and you've got bad piracy but when you're talking about good piracy like people are just some people just get so bent out of shape over it it's like you can't pirate that xbox game it's like people were talking like uh there was this one guy i was talking to and he was like Good luck preserving an online-only game, you idiot. And I'm like, you know what? If everybody had that same attitude, we wouldn't have people playing Fantasy Star Online right now. We wouldn't have people playing Halo 2 right now. We wouldn't have Xbox Live for the original Xbox back-engineered via Insignia. It's like, if people really thought like that, all of this stuff that people are, are enjoying again would truly be lost to the times. But fortunately... That's not the case. So I, I I would think that if people would look at like projects like Project Insignia for the Xbox, where they've totally re-back engineered Xbox Live and they're bringing the Xbox Live service back for the original Xbox, you'd think people would look at that and say, God damn, this really is important if we want to enjoy this stuff. Otherwise, if we didn't have piracy, this wouldn't be possible today. It's weird. It's just really strange to me. I blame uh, Nick Nick Mueller of HD Retrovision. I think he. Uh, I think he heard you. God damn it! Unfortunately. So I. <laughs> so I was wondering, while we wait for a real ODE for the PS2, there, there's multiple ways that you can load games off uh, on the PS2 today, and you know some of them have limitations, especially around speed. What do you think, uh, Zach, is the best solution today while we wait for the a true ODE, ODE solution 
for the PS2? Well, I, I don't like for the so the the bandwidth on the um, the bandwidth on the Ethernet, though fast Ethernet on the PlayStation Two, it's not very good. My personal opinion is format a nice juicy hard disk, put that sucker in your PlayStation Two, and enjoy the pretty good compatibility. Now, the real issue that you come into that you find when using when storing when using uh, the hard drive to load games, is that CD games do not work at all. So CD-based games such as Gauntlet, CD game, CD-based games such as, I can't remember, I know Gauntlet is one of them, but Gauntlet, Gauntlet Dark Legacy, but the, 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 the solution to that is you can convert CD-based games to the DVD file system. You can convert CD-based games to DVD ISOs, and for the most part, when you do that, you can then dump that DVD image to the hard disk. But what I never understood was, why is it that CD-based games, none of them can be booted from hard disk with HDD loader or open PS2 loader, but only DVD-based games can? Never understood that. Does anyone know? Uh, maybe... Dustin could uh, enlighten us in that. I I know like he's been kind of looking into like PS2. I I don't know any. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so because nobody cares about the play PS2. Let's just be honest. Yeah. So you know, I will say that with PS2. The best solution is, I would agree, it's hard drive, but not just any hard drive adapter, though. It seems that compatibility and, well, stability is best with uh, when you use a first-party hard drive adapter and just use an, uh, and then just replace the interface with a uh, with a uh, SATA uh, converter board whatever i don't know what the fuck to call it um which i uh, i'm not too surprised about that and yeah i would say that like using a hard drive is probably going to be your best bet and uh, and i know that people uh, people have been trying to get the shit to work through usb too but it's like i'm sorry like usb through PS2 does not work as good as people want it to. Great proof of concepts, but I mean, someone just needs to sit down and develop something from the ground up. Well, the the problem the problem with the problem with Jesus the problem with USB to the problem with using the USB interface uh, on the PS2 is that it's USB one, so that's like twelve megabits of bandwidth. And that's much slower. That's much slower than the. Uh, I think it's. I think it's a double speed optical on the on the PlayStation Two. So I, there's no way of getting beyond that bandwidth limitation of USB one. But 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 what about that? So the hype, I guess, a year ago or six months ago, was the memory card being used as a storage medium for PS2 games 
on the PlayStation 2. Um, evidently, it's got a lot better bandwidth, and compat- compatibility is getting really, really good. Um, I don't know... I don't know how good it is, but it was a lot of people were really, really excited about that. So maybe they're excited about that because it was better than a hard disk. I don't know. I really don't know. Does anyone have any ideas about that? So the memory card exploit is still is still uh, fairly young. So it still has a long ways to go before it could reach the same kind of level that, uh, the current that uh, HD loader has with um, the hard drive currently. The only problem I can see with it, though, is, and this is a problem that I have with using Free McBoot, is the fact that it's it is utilizing a memory card slot, and the reason why that's kind of a problem is when. It comes to saving your games. You can't necessarily use the same memory card that you you're using for free McBoot to save your games, because for some reason some games just flat out refuse to look at the save data through that same memory card. So, and I was looking into it via the forms and whatnot. Like, what do I do? And the solution is, oh well, once you boot your game into through the hard drive just hot swap it and you know like, what's interesting yeah yeah i know what you, yeah yeah the the fact the idea that the memory card is you've sacrificed an entire memory card just for the exploit but it takes me back to the dreamcast with its well it takes me to the xbox with its controller uh fed memory cards the the xbox it doesn't use any sort of proprietary protocol for controllers or memory cards. In other words, controllers are just USB devices, and memory cards are just USB devices. As far as it's concerned, it just thinks that the Xbox memory cards are effectively just flash drives as far as the system's concerned, right? I mean, it's the same. But did anyone... Who the hell ever used an Xbox memory card and what was it used for seeing that you had an ungodly amount or eight gigs of storage in your Xbox. Is it so that like, if you were playing a dumb football game, you could like take your stats over to your buddy's house where you both could play a dumb football game. Yep. Ridiculous. Transferring Xbox live, uh, profiles, football games. Um, I'm guessing like customized cars and like underground and things like that. Maybe at this point, the only practical purpose that served <laughs> now is say that you get another Xbox uh, down the line. You can just tra- uh, transfer everything from uh, from Xbox A to the memory card and then transfer it to Xbox B. Although not all save files can be transferred over that way. Do, Some are do, locked to the hard drive. Do later do do these custom Xbox dashboards? Do they have drivers to support? Because you know the Xbox is very old. That's two thousand one. The the drivers I'm sure that 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 the Xbox had burned into its firmware were for very old. You know maybe two hundred fifty six or five hundred twelve megabyte. You know quote unquote memory cards that were probably just flash drives. But do the later do these later custom 
dashboards, do they have drivers for like, you know, standard SanDisk 64 gigabyte memory card? Because, you know, even though it's, I'm pretty sure it's USB 2, it'd be kind of slow. What is it? USB 2 is 48 megabits, theoretically? USB 1.1. Oh, well, then it's slower. It's baloney. It's 12 megabits. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, the nickel on the Xbox can hit the full 100 megabits. So that's what most people do. So, so no one really uses the because of the nick on there is pretty good, and you can saturate that thing. No one really uses the Xbox memory card to as a payload or or to to move not as a payload, but to move data around. There's like one guy on Twitter that still sells like a self uh, a self modding kit, but outside of that, I don't think anyone really does. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't see. So there's a lot of things with the Xbox that I don't understand. Like there are a lot of different um, BIOS uh, like flavors, let's say like you've got open Xenium, whatever that is. You've got your thing. And I'm like, I don't really, I don't know what the differences (laughs) are to make an informed decision in terms of like, what does what, what, and, you know, like, can I, well, maybe with this BIOS, you can't plug in a SanDisk memory card into this thing because there's no, but maybe this BIOS or this flavor has, like, support for that. It's, I wish there was, for people who aren't Xbox sexperts, I wish that there was, like, a codified list of features so, like, so you could understand exactly what this BIOS does and why it's different and what this BIOS does and it. And how they differ and where they converge because... I believe there might be like a matrix table on like consolemods.org the wiki. I'll have to check that out. Um, quick rundown on BIOSes. Open Xenium is the operating system for the Xenium mod chip. So it's kind of like a loader per se to load a BIOS. Okay. Um, Okay. Then for the Xbox, uh, the kernel in the BIOS is like super light, like just very basic, like IO. Everything else is pretty much baked into the games and things like that. Well, let me ask you this: If I had, if someone had the Xbox HD, would they have to have Stellar, or would they still be in receipt of all of like any updates that you do? for Xbox HD if they remained on the um, the BIOS that you know was that optionally shipped with the Xbox HD. So when we released Stellar, we re uh, branded the HDMI mod to like Stellar Xbox HD. Or sometimes we call it V2. Um, with that what we're selling now, it does require Stellar. And that's because we removed everything from the HDMI board except for the HDMI encoder to Stellar. And the reason for that is some of the parts went um, EOL. um, We have a beefy, you know, FPGA on Stellar. It just made sense to move everything over there. Second, the biggest problem with the older kits were people not, you know, being able to uh, easily to the software side. So with Stellar, the only setup you do is drag and drop a file and you're done. So if, 
So if I have an Xbox HD kit here, am I am, am I kind of shit out of luck without? No, Stellar, no, um, that's still supported. Um, the way I like architect the firmware, um, I can backport uh, updates to the original kits. But the only okay, so the- I got you. So the original X, so the Xbox HD pre Stellar is still in receipt of like quality update you know like if, if a game there's like yeah. a game compatibility issue or something like that it's still like there's still support for it without right. the exclusively uh, without ex, without being um uh, um without being um jesus christ from <laughs> uh, adjoined to the bios like you can okay right. i got you i understand i understand i got you 100 yeah. percent I mean, okay. I would love to keep pushing non-video like updates to the older stuff, but the reason Stellar was created was to make all those changes easier, but it also required new hardware. So, I understand. Okay. That makes total sense. Fun times. Um, earlier in the chat, I guess my mic wasn't working, you had brought up, like, uh, the topic was something about, like, replacing chips and things like that, which people were talking about wishing, you know, PPUs could be replaced with, like, new chips and things like that. And one thing I wanted to, like, cram in there but was unable to is uh, with the recent update to Stellar, you can now replace uh, the CPU on the original Xbox and have 100% compatibility with the games. You're joking. No. (laughs) You You have a P3 or P7 stepping, or whatever, X86. Yep, you can take running. that from 733 megahertz to 1.4, and you can uh, overclock that 1.4 to about a 1.6 gigahertz. Now hold the goddamn phone. <laughs> That's insane. You, you you're, literally you're telling have a me, box, literally. You're, you're telling me that the days of sourcing those to Allerton P3s and coming up with some goofy-ass interposer and going through all this trouble to get a really fast a P3 Xbox, those days, that is no longer necessary. No, uh, quite the opposite. Those days are now. Um, those, because Friend Tech and some other companies way back when, you know, followed patents, came out with their interposers, sold their Xboxes with these, you know, super fast chips, but they also had a switch to take that from, you know, the 1.4 gigahertz back to the 733 so you could try to play games. But for the last decade, half of the Xbox library just doesn't work with uh, CPU replacements. Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. So Stellar fixes that. And one of the comments you were talking about working with, um, I forget now, some processor that used uh, like illegal opcodes and things like that, Stellar actually makes this possible because we're using undocumented Intel CPU commands. You're telling me that the original Coppermine CPU can stay on the board no physical modifications other than installing Stellar, and you can commandeer the CPU, and you can effectively add. What? Okay. What, uh, what happens? Yeah, what happens? So no, two different things. <clears throat> what you're uh, talking about 
is overclocking, and that'll come later. Uh, what I'm talking about is actually replacing the CPU. You're telling me we're removing, we are right. taking hot air, we're removing the CPU. Right. What state? What what goes in that socket? Anything? Um, I added support for a whole bunch of CPUs that we're still validating. Um, mostly the titanium uh, P3s. I'm or- confused. I thought you were saying that Project Stellar, with its computate with its RP twenty forty, that it could somehow like I, I was really confused. I thought Project <laughs> Stellar was like was commandeering the CPU and basically could also be used as a CPU replacement. I'm like, I was it really can, confused. That's like a complex discussion. <laughs> no, no, no. So what you're saying is you're you you're okay. Just to be totally clear on this, you are coming out with CPU upgrades for the Xbox that are in hardware. Maybe. Like an FPGA? Um, no, what I'm saying is we just released a uh, firmware update that allows pretty much any PDM3 processor on the Xbox to work with 100% compatibility. Oh, all those... Okay, boy, I'm an idiot. <laughs> all of the systems, all the CPU-upgraded systems that have, have quirks... They haven't worked. Or okay. they work all, with like weird workarounds and kind of All the CPU upgraded Xboxes now will have good compatibility because Stellar can take that into account right. and it can it can it can it can fix it to so okay, I understand. That's really bitching. And, and Dustin, it doesn't do it by slowing down the CPU, does it? It doesn't. That's amazing. Because even those underclock hacks from the past didn't quite work right. What does that do? Is it just a bunch of wait states? Is that what they do? Like, okay, you know, this CPU is this much faster, so we're just gonna we're gonna keep the CPU busy by like making it do some sort of computation in the background so that we can achieve the same, you know, uh, performance. Like, how does how do you do that? Like, how do you how do you detune the CPU with Stellar to so that it works? That's something we can talk about in private because it's not original hardware. It's not something that falls under the open source kind of like agreement that we have with the well, community. Well, I guess I'm going to have to buy one of these <laughs> goddamn Stellars. I mean, fuck. I have the H- the HD kit. I've not done anything. Uh, will this work with the old Xbox HD? Yeah, you just need the like $5 like upgrade adapter. All right. Well, I'll take a look into that. Let me do that. That's pretty cool. All right. That's actually pretty interesting, though, uh, because... I remember, like, back in the day, uh, the uh, when people were upgrading their C- uh, CPUs and what uh, whatnot, some of the advertisements I've seen on it was mainly to improve DVD playback, of all things. I mean, that's um, what the whole, like, fad for the, like, front panel buttons and screens are for. is is for media playback. It's not for games or anything like that. Yeah, it was. it was never for, like... You know, it was never for games to play better. It was all for, you know, it was the HTPC era, and it was a way to get an an, an Xbox to be a great multimedia HTPC for the living room. But, you know... (laughs) I don't know. I just... That's amazing. I'm going to have to look into this shit now, you know? Jesus. But we're slowly chipping away at the list of things that have been considered impossible, which has been fun. Well, look, the only thing I ever asked of you, and I don't know if you've implemented it, was I wanted a way to do a quick 
like when you do oh, a RAM upgrade, when you do a 128 megabyte RAM upgrade, if there could be some sort of test that could be conducted during or after post that will exercise it and just let you know, A, it's detected, and B, it seems to be working okay. Because that's always been like, that's always been kind of like, ugh, after you do a RAM upgrade, like having the right BIOS that can not only detect it, but having the right BIOS that you could use to to do like a memory test to make sure that it's all addressable and writable. Um, so close. You can use it. I'm sure you know, but like I'm literally like within like a day or two of having like inventory and like being able to do software again full time. This launch has been crazy. I have um, no idea. I, I'll just tell you, I don't know anything about it. I, I don't, but that's good. I'm very happy. That you you know, like just like pushing things out like constantly, you know, 18 hour days, just shipping and packing and kidding. And, uh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I understand. Totally. So, D- Dustin, with, um, with an upgraded CPU, how, what resolution can you support of MP4s running in XBMC? Can you do 1080p? No way. No way. Come on. I want to say maybe. No. It's way. close. I mean, I, I, I know we were taking certain encoded, like 720p stuff that was running previously at like 20 frames per second up to 60 with GPU and CPU overclocked. Oh. And I've seen, like, um, I can't remember the NAS software for, uh, like, Plex or something. Someone has, like, profiles for streaming and transcoding to the Xbox. What is the GPU? So does it have um, the GPU? Does it do hardware? No, no way it does. I'm sure it does. And obviously it does MPEG-4 because it does DVD. It has like a rough like hardware like MPEG block. It's not a complete block, but it's pretty damn close. But that doesn't really help with like H.264 and 5 and, well, really anything modern. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. God, the thing was ahead of its time, wasn't it? Jesus. So what can you see the use case for upgrading the CPU? Well, now it's mostly just, you know, improving frame rates and games and things like that. You have the original Xbox is like probably half its library that's like constantly locked at like 20 or 30 frames per second. You know, well, the, the real benefit now, okay, 10 years ago, this would have been the answer. Oh, yeah. The Xbox... Um, well, no, what I'm, what I'm saying about it would have been the answer. What I'm, what I'm saying is 10 years ago, if somebody were to ask what is the benefit of a CPU or even a RAM upgrade, the answer really would have been emulation because, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the Xbox in, in that era was really one of the greatest little emulation stations that you could have. And, and CPU upgrades, especially RAM, more than anything, especially for like PlayStation One emulation on the Xbox, definitely Nintendo sixty four emulation benefited benefited immensely from RAM. Um, the Xbox, when it was you know, and and coin ops really, 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 really benefited. I think it was coin ops, uh, which is basically like a bunch of arcade games being emulated, obviously on the Xbox. Really enjoyed the CPU and RAM upgrade. 
But aren't there some... Um, wasn't there an emulator? I mean, there's there's games like... Like Virtua Cop, right? Or something like that, that benefits. Right. Like, that's one of the games that you can kind of click or register yeah. and it'll use the extra RAM. I can't remember, but... Yeah, there it's are... <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, like, I, I don't really... You know, like, I, I don't know of any games... I'm sure there there are pa- well certainly there are patches that allow games to leverage like the faster CPU and stuff, but I can't really think of anything honestly. Um, well, Leon, the thing that- is, like, with Stellar, they're going to run at the correct like real time, but the processing is not like wait states or anything like that. It's processing in real time. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like yeah. Grand Theft Auto, like three Vice City San Andreas that normally runs at, you know, barely like 20, 25 frames per second with stuff on the screen is running at like 40 to 50 now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> I would love to do a CPU upgrade on my Xbox. That would be fantastic. Now, the real question, Dustin, can I turn my Xbox into a DOS machine? That's something I, I really want to do, but why can't you? Well, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like I don't mean to sound like a, like a new, but like the architecture of the, of the 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 Xbox is just a PC. Well, am I be, am I simplifying that? Is the Xbox really not just a PC? It's a copper mine Pentium three or Pentium. It's a, like from my perspective, I've always said it's a PC. I, I just think it's. We didn't have the tools or the documentation then to do something like booting MS-DOS or Windows 95 or 98 a decade ago. Right, right. But now we do. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, anything is possible if you have the time to do it, I guess. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that I think that yeah, that's God. It's a wonderful that you can. Yeah, we need the CPU upgrades immediately. That's why I'm so excited about Stellar. It's not just because of the, all the things I've recreated. It's like the whole like perspective like twist. It's because I've taken everything from the ground up and you know done it slightly different. Because you know there's actual RAM on Stellar that the CPU on the Xbox can access. So you think a system with 64 megabytes of RAM, you have 8 megabytes on Stellar, and because I've written the kernel from the ground up, I can segment those memory um, ranges out. And yeah, you have like solar memory that's on Stellar, but you also have an additional 8 megabytes of RAM that you can, you know, feed into a, a fight and like do stuff on the ARM cores on the RP2040 or just free up kernel space so you can load in extra drivers or yeah stuff. So are those features close? Are those features that are being uh, worked on now? Are they, are they features that are already on the thing on Stellar? Like they're baked in. I mean, they've been enabled from day one. Oh, that's great. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Ryan was very confusing to me. The way it was explained <laughs> to me that none of this stuff was Something going else. to work for like until January, but it sounds like a lot of this stuff was already implemented. Everything has been implemented, tested. Like we have developers and testers that are playing around with everything. It's just when we launched, we wanted to put beta on everything and go, hey, let's make sure this, you know, just runs on everybody's system. And the reason for that is we wanted to keep support as low as possible just to make sure we got all the core issues out. And I can't tell you how thankful I am I did that, even though it did cause confusion, because we're finding things like people's EPROMs on their Xbox being corrupt in such odd ways that it just causes the system not to boot with Stellar. I see. And it's like, oh, <laughs> because, you know, we're not working from leak uh, code or anything like that. It's all reverse engineered. So some of the oddities and leftovers from the last like decade or two of mods have crept up. And that's been like the primary focus on, you know, just making sure, Hey, it works. <laughs> now, will my OG Xbox spontaneously combust if I tried using one of those 720p patches with Stellar? I mean, it might. Uh, oh, that's been the hardest part about Stellar. It's just trying to figure out how to like really nicely tell people. It's like, hey, those patches that worked, they weren't really 720p patches. They're filled of view patches that also kind of like got the GPU stuck in a certain video mode that was 720. P-ish. <laughs> then explaining, oh yeah, that probably won't work with Stellar because it barely worked before. What are the ramifications of using Stellar in any of this stuff with like, say, so, okay, Insignia, as far as my understanding is, they require you have, they require that you have a totally vanilla Xbox dashboard with no hackery. Does that mean that now, now this isn't just for X. This isn't just for Stellar. This is just any modded Xbox. Does that mean that you can't have a modded Xbox? That you're going to have to have like some sort of vanilla Xbox in order to enjoy Insignia's Xbox Live features? If, if the, I don't know if you guys are even familiar with that. Um, our team like really uh, overlaps with the Insignia team. So, um, the question of the whole community is like a mess on like keeping everything documented and cleaned and like figuring out best practices for everything. Um, pretty much any, anyone that's ever had a soft modded Xbox more than likely has a corrupt uh, like stock dashboard. Okay. Uh, has a soft mod remover that it'll like, scan the sectors on the hard drive and try as best to like recover those files and like put them back in the correct spot for people. But if it doesn't, then it just errors out, tells them it's like, Hey, you're kind of on your own. You have to like Google for this stuff now. Um, unfortunately, Microsoft never really like packaged up the dashboard files in any way that we can point people to, or, you know, Right this is why you back up your kernels, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Just back up everything. 
and it, it sucks because we can't share anything because it's you know what is the best of, so let's say i have a stock uh one point you know ver- just just a version one yep. uh launch model xbox before i do any modding should i back up the drive and what would well, you recommend be the the method of of, of doing that um really no backup required um because I thought everyone just used Slayers and Hexens after they modded their Xbox to create a vanilla draw, a vanilla, you know, like a vanilla system, a modded system. Like, it's been a long time since I've messed with any of that Xbox stuff. It's bad, too, because a lot of people are still using a lot of those uh, disk images that were created, you know, in the early 2010s. A lot of those install, like, random, like, little soft mod helpers and just random stuff all over the hard drive. It's only been in the last couple of years where it's been really hammered into people. It's like, hey, the Xbox is kind of like a computer. Its main dashboard and its operating system is on the C partition. We don't touch the C partition. I see. I see. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember doing soft mods and using the uh, uh, using Endure, and there was an option... Uh, called Shadow C, where I, I'm assuming that would shadow copy your C directory uh, or your C drive somewhere. So yeah, that it basically thing... created like a virtual like C partition. Okay. Like trick the operating system into using that, and you could have like a way where you could boot into like a stock one if you wanted to play online back in the day. That's, that's right. Because so if I turned on my if I press the power button on my Xbox. I would load into custom dash. If I if my Xbox was off and I powered it with the eject button, it would load the 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 vanilla default Xbox Live XBE dash. Right. I remember that. And I guess that's the same thing. I guess you can but you can replicate that in with with Stellar, right? Like if you wanted like the vanilla experience for Insignia, could you have Stellar? Could you basically say Stellar? I want you to, like, when I press this button, I want you to point to, like, the stock dashboard so as far as Insignia is concerned, this is a vanilla system. Or does it not work that way? Am I just being really, so like, what, simple here there about that? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I know you get this part, but for everyone, I try to explain, you know, like, Xbox is like a computer. like It's like Windows. When it turns on, it's going to look for one executable to run, and it's going to try to run that. Um, right. With Stellar... You press the power button, it turns on normal. You press the eject button when you turn on Stellar, it enters a uh, safe mode, is what we call it. And what that okay. does is it just loads up the factory default settings, forces you to the Stellar like little operating system, and it's like, hey, you loaded up the default settings. Kind of like a you know computer BIOS would if you cleared the CMOS. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, if you have a custom <laughs> dashboard... Um, Located on your E drive in a folder called dashboard, it'll load that. If it can't find that, it'll try to load the default dashboard. If it can't load that, it boots you into the seller OS settings and tells you, hey, you don't have dashboard. At which point, you can use the built in FTP server to copy I, over. Actually, something uh, I just thought of. So one of the Xboxes that I recently purchased uh, came pre-soft modded. It has, I think, Executor 2, uh, 3, I don't fucking remember. Uh, it's 
uh, been permanently uh, T-Sop flashed. Um, am I kind of screwed in terms of like trying to return that thing back to stock, or do you want to return it to stock, or do you just want to throw a mod chip in it and be done with it? <laughs> I don't know. Like it was literally, I just found it. Uh, I found it uh, for cheap, and I booted up. And I'm like, oh, it's Executive Two. Does it have a mod chip in it? Nope. Has a replacement hard drive, and um, it's been TSOP modded. And you were talking about how uh, soft mods uh, could potentially like corrupt the uh, kernel, and I'm like, ooh, well, with the, TSOP, the hard mods that and TSOP falls under that. Uh, a mod chip just overrides that. So, oh, okay. So I'm like trying to think. Uh, think like what exactly am I going to do with this thing because I have another Xbox that I plan on modding with Stellar but I also don't want to like release this thing in a while if you want to drop a Stellar into it you just install the pen header and you know the little D0 easy solder board and you're good to go um if you wanted to return it to stock, you could. I would just ask on the Discord. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, know what enough. the. Um, I, gu- I guess I don't know what the value would be. Like I said, the only thing, the only reason I would have any interest in running a stock Xbox or Xbox Live Dash is for Insignia. But otherwise, there is no value or utility for me in having a stock dashboard. And I guess that kind of sucks too, because with Insignia, like that means that you just can't. I, I, I'm assuming that means that the games that you play, you can't take advantage of loading those from hard disk because you're going to have to use that stock default dash. You're going to have to have your real copies out. And With, if you have a... The dashboard just has to be there. You can still boot into a custom dashboard. So... you. Can you? Can you? I'm sorry. Can you? Can you elaborate on that? You're saying that the the dash, the Xbox Live dashboard, just has to be available, right? So you can still have. You can still. In other words, mm-hmm. you can still have your games loaded. I can have Halo Two stored on the hard disk. I can boot Halo Two from the hard disk. But the only point, the only thing that I have to make sure is that this stock vanilla Xbox Live dashboard is also on the hard disk and is also right. accessible. Okay. Right. Okay, that's kind of confusing. Okay, it is. But, but, and, and how? Well, how are you going? I guess the question is that comes into my head: How are you going to boot into? How are you going to run Halo Two from hard disk, and that be okay while also taking advantage of like vanilla Xbox Live dashboard? Like, how does how does Halo run from hard disk if we're also accessing Xbox Live dashboard? Like the Xbox Live dashboard isn't like designed to deal with Halo running from hard disk. Am I wrong? Am I so, not thinking about this correctly? I'll give you the like technical side really quick. Um, so you load Halo. Um, it's going to pull some assets from the C partition where your Xbox Live dashboard is. And if those assets are there and it can connect to Insignia, it just goes into the game. Um, if it's not, and you know, you need to sign into Xbox Live, or there's a connection issue, or something like that, it's going to try to launch the Xbox Live dashboard. So, 
that's why those files have to be there in that Okay. Spot. I understand. Um, if you're booting into a custom dashboard, uh, a lot of them have a uh, file explorer or some way to add a shortcut or add an executable to like your games list or your applications list. And what a lot of people will do is they'll add a, uh, a shortcut or add it to their list of games. The Xbox Live dashboard, if they want to boot that. So what you'll do is you'll go to your custom dashboard and you're like, oh, I want to do something in the original dashboard. <laughs> Click. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, that's pretty cool. Um that's really cool. So you can have so in other words, you can take advantage of kind of like having all of your games and all of like the fun mods and hacks <laughs> while still also taking, you know, having that Xbox Live dashboard on there and being able to use, you know, Insignia without having to have a totally vanilla Xbox in other words. Right. Right. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. And at some point, I do want to add, like, basic, you know, executable launching, game loading, and stuff like that to, like, the little stellar OS just for the people that do want to keep it completely, you know, stock. You know, what I, you know what I would love? And this might be outside of the scope of Stellar, <laughs> but it would be great if there was a way to create some sort of pseudo-wireless bridge between the 100 megabit, the fast Ethernet NIC, and, like, so, in other words... Your Xbox could have wireless, you know, 802.4.11 N or G or whatever, uh, yeah. and you didn't have to have Ethernet. I bet that's not really plausible, is it? That's something I really want to do. It's just all the chipsets for that suck unless you start going into, like, real tag or something like that. Oh, yeah. Because the ESP, ESP32s and things like that cap out. Cap out at like 30 or 40 megabits max. Oh, yeah. But, 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 like but the, sitting on top of the router type of, you know, benchmark. But the Intel, the, the, the Xbox has an actual Intel neck and you can saturate that thing, can't you? I mean, it, it, you, you get every bit of what, you know, you can get out of it. Yeah, it's a NVIDIA neck, but the community is completely like reverse engineered how it works. Okay. Like the, like the homebrew code for accessing the NIC is actually faster than the Microsoft code. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm really want to get into the Xbox stuff. I love, I thought about buying, they seem to be really cheap over in Europe. The crystal, the clear crystal Xboxes, they're not that expensive. I'd really like to have one of those. I'd like to have one of the green Halo ones, but those things are getting way too expensive for my taste. For my, for my, I, for my I put you in touch with someone over there. I uh, have someone, I think in the Netherlands, that can get them pretty cheap. Like the, the blues, oh, those look so nice. Yeah, I yeah, thought I about getting. Beautiful. I thought about getting like one of the blue uh, Xboxes, but uh, what so I nice find is uh, the pro- What I found is that like it doesn't matter if it's the Halo Two Canadian version, which I learned. Uh, which I learned that yes. Uh, we did technically get a blue Xbox over here, but it was only available in Canada. Um, but it also, uh, but it doesn't matter if it's that. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's the Dead or Alive Two system that was only available in uh, in Asia. That big blue beast is fucking expensive. I got mine. 
from uh, from Japan for like two hundred dollars like a year ago, plus like a hundred dollars something, so like three hundred. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty good. I, I, um, I, yeah, that would be really cool. I would love that. I would love the. I love. I like the crystal one. I like the green one. The blue one was really pretty. Have you I seen the blue one in person? I've never seen a blue one in person, but uh, I've seen pictures. It's so much better in person because it's like a deep blue, but it almost has like a metallic to it. But it's just the plastic that kind of has a little bit of shine to it. Is the um, is the heat sink on the V one or the first revision with the fan? Is that better? Does that ha- does that yield better temperatures than the passive heat sink only? Uh, the passive works marginally better, but you also remove probably one of the largest points of failure on the Xbox that just bakes the GPU and kills it. Because there's really? no uh, thermal sensor in the GPU. So it so can wait, just completely run away. So there's no runaway thermal protection on non-V, non-launch model Xboxes? There's no thermal runaway protection on any of the GPUs. There's Period. a thermal uh, protection on the CPU, and there's a sensor on the motherboard. But the GPU can cook itself. Doesn't the South Bridge also cook itself? It can, um, I, I saw like five dollar like little heat sinks that I tell people to just to grab because people back in the early twenties uh, were always complaining about how hot that chipset ran on PC and Nvidia actually like sent out like free heat sinks to those people. So so, so I'm like so, it's the same chipset, so we should probably have a heat sink too. So the 1.0 Xbox, even though it may yield a little bit higher delta or a little bit higher temperature, it's actually the heat sink and the the active cooling fan is better for the GPU because it it it'll help protect it from cooking itself. I'm sorry, man. I'm so exhausted. I don't no, even know what the hell I'm saying. Uh, no, I'm saying the passively cooled like the later revisions just have a slightly bigger heat sink. It's passively cooled by the case fan that one's rock solid um okay one of the well, biggest let me ask you a simple question are either of them necessarily bad or are both of them okay um that's what i was going to get at um one of the biggest myths is the last revision is the worst revision um my opinion is it's quite the opposite the 1.6 um it's harder to do the ram upgrade because uh, it requires stacking memory. But if you're not doing that, um, cleaner power supply, uh, the voltage uh, rails, just so much cleaner that actually makes sense in terms of routing and things like that. Um, the GPU is um, Dysonk. So it pulls, I think it's like four or five watts less. Um runs a whole lot uh, cooler. Um, yeah, it's just more reliable. A lot of people uh, didn't like the 1.6 because they said that the video encoder was bugged. Turns out it's it was all bugged. <laughs> so it's, it's called Excalibur, right? Is that the video yep. deck that they used on the um, 
one six, and so that was actual. That was more or less myth. Well, then what was the problem? Why was there all? Why were there so many four eighty p problems with the one point six? Microsoft just fucked the kernel. <laughs> uh, they set the like. They don't clear like one of the uh, interrupt lines. Are you, are you saying this is a software problem that's yeah, limited to the one point six? Yeah, Stellar fixes it. So like fifty games are now like playable on the one point six with Stellar. So there's real no compelling reason not to get a 1.6 now. Unless you want to RAM upgrade, which I do not recommend people to RAM stack. Well, dude, I do that, I do that shit in my sleep. I'm not worried about that. No, but It's not the like, process of RAM stacking. Is, uh, I think it's the GPU, uh, like one of its core um, power rails is shared with the RAM. Oh, and, and it takes a big gulp with all that RAM, doesn't it? With all that extra yeah, RAM. Yeah, you don't have that extra uh, decoupling. And I've measured um, noticeable artifacting in the data lines coming out of the GPU to the video encoder with stack RAM. So yeah, there's been like, small like artifacting from you know signals edging and things like um, that. Just like, yeah. That's a really good point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um... Didn't you have some issues with like the 1.0 and 1.1 initially with like uh, Xbox HD, like to the point where you had yes. to like <laughs> uh, the 1.0s and the 1.1s, the power rail for the the main power rail to the GPU can be extremely dirty. And later revisions, they added some uh, termination to one of the clock lines and some extra decoupling under the GPU, but I found out after shipping out like a thousand units that my fix wasn't good enough and I had to send out like this little quick solder board, which the HDMI kit still used today. Um, that's amazing. It's also possibly one of the reasons for the quote-unquote uh, coma death of the 1.0s. The coma death is either the TSOP flashes went corrupt, which can be bypassed with a mod chip, or uh, the voltage rails are just so far gone. And with a slight degradation to the GPU and all that, just doesn't work anymore. Because I've actually had someone use the quick solder board, the little power cleanup board, from the HDMI kit to fix... A 1.0 that had no video. All 1.0s, really, I mean, at this point, all of <laughs> those boards, ideally, should be recapped yep. at this point. And the 1.6 I mean, is so easy to recap that I just recap them. Anyway. Are, four, are they four-layer or six-layer, the main board? That's all four. Okay. So, what I found, actually, is um, with Microsoft's uh, uh, Microsoft's Xbox, as well as like many PCs at the time, for some interesting reason, the Nishicon brand of capacitors were apparent uh, uh, were notorious for just exploding out of the factory. It's um, for the bacteria growth. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I'll yeah. dig up that article. Yeah, it was a full-on plague for Nishikon. Yeah. 
Was it the when time. they were having the? Was, was it when they were having the? Uh, no, this was in the nineties when they were having the electrolytic. Uh, uh, oh my god, I'm so sleepy. Uh, they, but it was during the, like the it was during the capacitor wars, and everybody was trying to steal. Was it? Was it? Was it Nishikon or was it Rubicon's like, electrolytic formula? Yeah, there's like one of like people like basically adding Gatorade and you know whatever else, and then whatever there's... they found in the under the yeah, sink. Yeah, yeah, fish oil yeah. was one of them. Mountain Dew. <laughs> then there's uh, this uh, like bacteria like plague that like just slowly was growing in some of these fabs. That I just scary. went on. <laughs> that is terrifying. I've um, had a, an Xbox power supply. Literally, one of the capacitors rocketed off because it vented that badly. Didn't the uh, didn't X, didn't Microsoft? So wasn't there a problem with the power supply where the lugs for the for the IEC connector? were soldered in or something and the problem is is the solder would break and you yeah. know it's the AC mains power so what would happen is it could create like a spark cap and <laughs> if it sparked it could ignite you know you could theoretically combust your Xbox so didn't Xbox release or send out a special power strip that had ground yeah, fault protection yeah yeah <laughs> Those IDC connectors are just soldered in with the two prongs. There's no That's other. That's what I thought. Accessory prongs. So yeah. always double check that. You know, give it a nice, leaded reflow. Yeah, you've got to be careful with that. Um, um, don't stick yeah. your hand on top of a power supply that's plugged in. That's ideal. I do that. You know, I, like, I've learned that the hard way. Eight, uh, 120 volts, 120 AC mains. It doesn't feel good at all. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, I don't like it. I've worked on arcade machines and have accidentally touched a transformer. I know how it feels. I mean, I, I've zapped myself on it, too. I've zapped myself on 120. It sucks. It sucks. It's a terrible, vibrating, burning pain. And it's like, it's unfun, but... I'm all for some reason I've always managed when if there's a if there's a switching power supply in front of me I always manage to somehow totally make out with the AC input side of it every time I just want to <laughs> I'm lucky to be here um you had asked whether they were or the motherboards were four or six layers um I if you care Voltar um I've been working on delayering and scanning all of them, so if you, I'll have that public eventually. <clears throat> so if you're ever curious to look at the layout of them, that'll be available. No, oh, that'd be cool. We're so close to like just making our own Xbox motherboard at this point. Holy shit! This is the first time I've heard red. What really? Red never stops talking in the private Discord server. He just talks all I imagine, day. Trackers. Uh, I, got I imagine mouth. that the X. Ex- yeah, that's all right. I mean, I do too. Welcome to the club. I imagine that the Xbox is a four-layer PCB. Does it use? Does it dedicate one of its inner layers for power plane, or does it dedicate two of the inner layers for power plane? So one of the inner layers is voltages. 
and the other is solid ground. That's right. That's what I thought. That's very good. I think they did a really good job. I think the Xbox was, you know, I mean, it looks really nicely done. I've seen a lot worse. Like, it's hard to complain. Um, The earlier ones probably has more ground splits than I would like. So people installing the HDMI mod on, like, 1.0 to 1.1, we, like, really, like, hammer it in. It's like, please try to keep the RF shielding. Kind of cleans up a little bit of the ground noise. Um, Whereas on the 1.6, you can just trash that. I will (laughs) argue that the original Xbox is the only system Microsoft has released that I actually find interesting. The Xbox 360 has some uh, decent games, but for some reason, I just can't find too much interest in the system. And the Xbox One, even more so. I I, I think the Xbox 360 is just whatever, you know? But here's the thing. Let me just say this. I thought for the past 10 years or 15 years that the PS3 and the Xbox 360 graphically, like the games, even though the PS3 is marginally better because it has all those SPUs and whatever, it doesn't matter, that the graphics on these games were basically the same. I did not know. I was an idiot. Now that I've actually looked at the Xbox 360 and I've looked at all the games that I played on the PS3 and compare, the Xbox 360 kicks the shit out of the PlayStation 3 graphically in a lot of ways for a lot in a lot of these games. Especially Red of, Dead Redemption. It was because it's easier it was easier to program for the 360, whereas Microsoft made the PS3 needlessly complicated. So as a result, the multi-platform games were just better on 360. Yeah, it, I was so surprised. I'm like, God, Jesus, I'm an idiot. I thought the PS3 version was, no, the Xbox 360 version, it seems more often than not, was graphically superior. You know, Which, like, it's amazing. I was going to say, uh, I, I was going to say, like, it's worth noting a lot of those early reviews of like PS3, Xbox 360 games, they tended to be based on the PS3 builds, which is why you would end up with inconsistent reviews when compared to the 360 version. Yeah, but wouldn't wouldn't it be easier to write software for the 360 because it was power was it power PC based? Tricore, wasn't it? It had a Tricore uh, power PC it's uh, CPU. Yeah, and I think the PS3, they designed their own proprietary processor no one's ever seen before. And I think, again, I'm not a software engineer. I never made games for them. But that I would think if everybody's used to making software in one specific way and then you throw a wrench into it, uh, an ar- architecture nobody knows, that's, I'm suspecting that's uh, a lot of PS3 games in the beginning didn't look so good. Well, I think really what it was was the PS, the, the, all that proprietary nonsense that was really just Ken Kutaragi's um, ego and his narcissism because he wanted it to be the best of the best and, and, and he wanted it to be cutting edge. Well, you know, that cutting edge nonsense kind of cost them. Like the PS3 is great and the Xbox 360 is not faultless. I mean, Jesus, the Red Ring of Death bankrupted the thing practically. But the, the the Xbox 360 got a lot of things right. They got online right. They got the controller right. They got the 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 performance, and they got 
the hardware ride in the sense that it looked good, but it didn't cost five ninety nine when it was launched. Like the Xbox three sixty, as far as I'm concerned, truly is a superior system. Oh yeah, um, I actually uh, own some of the uh, the multi platform games for like Xbox uh, that were released on Xbox three sixty and PS three, and. I tend to buy them on the 360 because not only do they tend to be cheaper than their PS3 counterparts, they also just perform better. Like uh, they do. One example is uh, is uh, Splatterhouse on the 360. Criminally underrated game. It performs way better on 360 than it does on the PS3. I felt that the Xbox 360. So I played Devil May Cry 4, and I remember playing. Um, it was Devil May Cry 4 and Red Dead Redemption, as I said, but Devil May Cry 4, beat it on the PS3 when it came out, played it on the PS3 a few years ago. I played it for the first time on the Xbox 360. It was a totally different experience. It played so much better, and I'm sorry, the PS3, the PlayStation controller is great, but as far as I'm concerned, the best new age-ish controller that's ever came out is the Type S controller for the original Xbox. That is the best controller. That's the best controller. Not to mention Microsoft's controllers are actually uh, easier to service, whereas like PS2, DualShock 2s, uh, DualShock 3s, and DualShock 4s make me want to hang my left nutsack because, Jesus fucking Christ, I hate working on them. You have two individual nutsacks? I'm asking for a friend. You said your left nutsack. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to paint you into a corner here. But I need to know if there's more than one. But you know, the thing about the Microsoft, the thing about Xbox controllers, not only are they, you know, they're easier to service, they're just better engineered. They last longer. They will go the distance. I can't tell you how many PS3 controllers and PS2 controllers, especially, I've busted. Without even necessarily being hard on them, I'm just using them regularly. Uh, Microsoft Xbox 360 controllers and OG Xbox controllers, I don't think I've ever broken one. Also, the Duke is, like, heavily underrated for the I X- hate that original Xbox. No, nah, fuck that. Fuck that controller. I could hold that. That controller, I could hold six <laughs> inches above my cat's back. If I drop that controller, that back is, that back is broken. That cat is paralyzed. <laughs> That's not a good controller. I don't know. I don't mind it too much, but then again, I have like ridiculously long fingers, so you know uh, that. Okay, that controller to me, great with Halo. Didn't really care for it in any other game that I ever ever played. I know that sounds weird. The Duke was fantastic for Halo, but when I tried to play, I remember trying to play Dead or Alive three. Didn't work out too well. Got the Type S controller. Holy shit, now we're on to something. Now, if only we could get a decent uh, either 2.4 gig or Bluetooth controller for the original Xbox. You don't, you don't think that would... You think that would be relatively... Not trivial, but it wouldn't be too difficult. I mean, it's all... It's, it's just USB protocol, isn't it? Right? I mean, you'd think that that wouldn't be too terribly difficult to implement um it's on the roadmap for uh stellar that would be cool you know what i'd love to have because i don't think anyone will make a good quality wireless xbox controller 
like eight bit dough. I would love to replace the guts of the. Uh, no, what I would like to have is a dongle that I could plug into the end of the cable on my Xbox OG Xbox controller that will allow it to effectively be converted into a wireless controller. That's what I'd like to have. Maybe Dustin should integrate blue <laughs> retro support on the uh, Stellar. So you I want to money for that? Thirty-twos. No, I'm not a huge fan of uh, the ESP32. I think we've talked about that. You coward. You won't do it. Uh, I have, like, too much fun, like, reverse engineering, like, Chinese, like, Wi-Fi chips and, like, real tech stuff. Um, like, everything for me is a software problem, so. I know. I mean, interesting hardware is not that difficult. Yeah, I know the... Currently speaking, the only news of like an OG Xbox controller that operates wirelessly that's being released is the Hunter by Retro Fighters. I'm interested to see what that's going to be like, but from what I can gather is that the experience with their controllers could be kind of hit or miss. Well, what? that's why <laughs> I I I would just rather maintain um, the real OEM, genuine Microsoft controller and convert that in a manner to where it could be it could operate wirelessly. That's what I'm interested in. But guys, listen, I've got to go. I have to go eat some dressing and I have to solder some PPUs together and then I have to do a I have to do a pin recovery on another one. So I want to say thank you for enjoying this night with me. It's been a beautiful evening. I will think about you all until we meet again. God bless you. Shalom. Take care. I'm just kidding. I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm leaving. See you guys. Have a good weekend. He almost got us twice. I thought he was leaving like an hour ago. I almost said something. I think he just basically said in a fancy way <laughs> that he was going to eat and go to sleep. Yeah, it's like one thirty. It's pretty damn late to be. To yeah. Be yeah. That was the way, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know, Dustin. You've been like busy, really, 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 really busy with Stellar launch. Like really busy. Uh, like what month is it? What year is? It? <laughs> um, I don't know. June it's 2nd. like as soon as what? What is it? It started. Did you start shipping in late April? I don't even remember now. I think I think it was in April. You stopped coming on these, and I'm like, no, it's be it's not because he hates me. <laughs> it's because he he's legit, like busy as fuck with Stellar Launch. So I get it. <laughs> no, that's what I was trying to explain to Voltar. I was like, you know, this launch has just been crazy, like. Every other week, I get, like, a pallet of, like, shipping boxes from Uline. I fill those boxes up. <laughs> you know, I fill my car up with packages, go off to the post office because they won't, you know, pick up packages for some reason. And I repeat that. <laughs> That's weird because when Dan, uh, I, I recall when Dan was, uh, I think back when Black Dog was, like, not, well, back when his, like, you know, HDMI stuff was a little not as widespread as it was. 
he was having UPS, USPS pickup boxes at his house, but the the volume you're doing, no way. The, the post office will be like, ha no. It depends on your state. Um, some will do it regardless of volume. Some will have restrictions based on vol- volume, and some won't do it at all. Yeah, I had the local post office general call me and go, nope. You're not doing residential volume. Your return address doesn't match. And she's just like, yeah, there's like a whole list of reasons why we can't do this. And I was like, okay. I think I have a way around it, which I'm going to start trying in like a week or two. But well, at least you're not doing it the way that Rooster Teeth used to drop off their DVDs, which was literally go to the nearest Dropbox and just cram it all in there. And hope and pray to God they don't get caught. Mine wouldn't fit. Like I'm serious when I say I fill my car up. <laughs> it just nothing but a. Uh, I'm just imagining like your car is just full of boxes, but then like as you're driving, you just hear like a faint meow, and it turns out your cat just snuck in. <laughs> Supervising, he's always watching. But yeah, I I know you've been kind of like in and out due to like um, all the stellar work. So and thank you. <laughs> like I, I I'm interested. I I want to like. I know some people are like, oh, but, uh, this is kind of concerning. I'm like, nah, this guy is pro- uh, uh, is working hard to make like. That's not why I enjoy just- the retro chats. Yeah, like he's not making a, uh, uh, he's not making a Xbox mod chip. He's making the Xbox mod chip. It and I, I still, I still need to fucking buy one. I keep, uh, <laughs> I, I keep thinking about it, but uh, thinking about it when I'm talking to you. But then, like by the time I get the money, I get distracted with something else. Shani, I'll just keep. I'll, I'll have Red just constantly remind you. No, because uh, because I already have Red knocking on my door, wait, uh, waiting for me to sleep, so that way he can come in and dis- uh, disassemble my RGB setup. Uh, by the time I wake up, my flat screen will probably be in the trash, and all that's left is my boxy RF CRT. That I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Ranting in my DMs by Stellar. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully a wireless uh, receiver will be out soon enough. See, the great I'll thing just... about Stellar is since I have full control of the software, I don't have to emulate four USB ports. <laughs> I can emulate I'll... one USB port, fix it in the kernel, and emulate four. <laughs> And software. I'm just saying, man. You know, Blue Retro, it is open source. But I'll I'll have to give you some insights over DMs. There's reasons I don't want to use Blue Retro, and it's not Blue Retro's fault. But I think I can do something slightly better. Are you? Are you saying that you can achieve zero latency blue uh, Bluetooth? No. 
I'm talking about getting those uh, Bluetooth butt plugs to work. Bluetooth butt plug? What the fuck? No, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a few features that I have worked <laughs> oh. out. No, 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 no. I am like legitimately <laughs> thinking of a Bluetooth butt plug. Like, what? What? Uh, 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 what? Everything has Bluetooth. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I want my Xbox to be sending uh, uh, sending signals to something that's supposed to go up your ass. Uh, it's okay, Stellar. Uh, like. It's not no like commonly known, but they're they have serial numbers, so I would know if you connected a Bluetooth <laughs> plug to your speller. Oh, that's concerning. It's like why is he <laughs> only ever activating this during the retro chads? <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking god! Or Red just starts sending you Morse code. <laughs> Pretty sure Smia from the 3DS hacking did a DEFCON talk on, on this exact subject. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. I, I wish I, I could not... remember their name, but I can't. Oh, so they're serial. They they are serialized, though. Yeah, they are. Okay, so you can. Oh my god, that is scary! You literally can monitor whatever the fuck I do with it. No, I I don't keep track of who orders what. They're not serialized that way. Okay. I'm not. You're I'm not doing <laughs> weird stuff. It, it, it's anti-onion to you. Yeah, it's just anti-cloning stuff. <sighs> but yeah, I get it. Um, it's I still wonder... funny, like Black Mirror, like thought. <laughs> I could. <laughs> Just don't let Reddit know that. I mean, there'll be like 20 posts tomorrow. <laughs> Dustin like, is watching I, you use your butt plug. <laughs> don't buy Stellar. Yeah, uh, I've been interested in Stellar mainly because uh, of like all the feature sets that you've mentioned and, and especially like fixing the uh, video output since I oh, prefer to like use dude. the analog output. But Voltar about the daylight savings time fix. He would have been so excited. Oh, that's right. Because even with a replacement clock capacitor, it doesn't want to fucking hold the time. No, that's just the whole... That's why I like... What I was going to say earlier, that's why I like retro chat is... Like, I spend so much fucking time working on this shit that I don't have time to do write-ups on everything. And a lot of the things I'm really excited about, you know, like the CPU upgrade... Like, it didn't get covered anywhere. But that's, like, one of the biggest, you know, like, fixes, discoveries that Stellar has, probably. Who's going to be making the interposers? I don't know. That's something that I'll probably be figured out at some point. All I know is that with like my next check, I'm still not going to be able to buy, uh, buy <laughs> Stellar because I already promised a friend that I'd buy his damn Sega CD. We'll have to come up with some kind of like uh, referral bonus, you know, like sell twenty Stellars, get one free. No, it. I think it's just more of like, <clears throat> I. 
like I said before, don't feel bad if no, the current it, it, set isn't quite enough. I mean, there's still a lot more. I, I think it's just more of like with me, it's I I like modding consoles so much that I end up just start collect uh, collecting like so many. It, it, it's basically like in a weird way, video game collecting, but instead of video games, it's video game uh, console modifications. Oh, so like, I haven't made it past that part. I just buy the consoles and I forget what to do. I got like 50 Wii's in I, this week and like two Xboxes. Like the the thing is though, it's like I love doing console mods, cartridge mods and things like that to the point where I'm literally planning uh, new mods every fucking week. So I start setting up my AliExpress cards. I set up my other digital cards. Okay, well, and, I do that, but it's like DigiKey orders, and it's parts for new mods. It, and it's like, I'm buying all the parts to put these mods together, <clears throat> only for me to buy more parts to put another mod together, and then more parts to put another mod. You get, you get the picture. It's basically like, I'm constantly buying the parts, but I'm not actually putting the shit together. Right. Like that's that's why uh I have like the N sixty four junior here with a sixty four uh HE. Although I'm missing the RGB mod. That's what I'm waiting for with that one. Um but I have all the parts to get some mods together. It's just I get distracted with something else that <clears throat> sounds interesting. Like, um I was talking earlier about my uh, my fixation on Game Boy mods. In fact, after we're done here, I'm going to be starting filming of building something called the Game Boy Pocket Color. Which, as the name implies, it's a Game Boy Color fitted inside a Game Boy Pocket. Um, and it's mainly because, like, I I just find I just find that really interesting right now. Um, but I also have all the parts for a PC engine build. I have all the parts for a top loader repair. I have all the parts for, uh, for a Game Boy Advance SP mod. The, it's like I have all these parts on the go, uh, ready to go for, uh, mod, uh, to get a mod going, but I buy more fucking mods. I buy more parts to do more mods because as soon as I'm gearing up ready to get this going i then look at something in my feed i'm like "Ooh, this looks interesting let me get the parts we gotta i mean with the pricing on everything going up so quick i have a hard time not just stocking up on everything (laughs) yeah what am i gonna do with 50 wees um, i've had some ideas but they're, they were if, red ideas. If 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 you're consulting Red about what to do with Wii's, it's probably going to be something in the tune of shove it inside a t- inside a Tic Tac box. Uh, I mean, someone did make a Wii portable in an Altoids tin, and it's I'll called the put, Kill Me. I'll just put it in an Xbox case. There we go. I'll, I'll make it in an Xbox somehow. Well. Actually, funny enough, I actually have two Wii's on me right now, 
Um, one of them has a broken disk drive. The other, I don't even know what the fuck is going on with it, but the front cover is kind of dislodged. Um, my goal is to get these Wii's repaired. And then I'm going to do the AVE HDMI mod on them, uh, replace the thermal pads. I know people say that it's not required. I say that if you crack open a system that is 10 plus years old, just replace the fucking thermals. Like, it doesn't matter if it's pads, paste, or whatnot. Just replace the goddamn thermals. Is it weird pads or thermal? Okay. It's it's pads, but um, my problem is that it doesn't matter how careful I am. I have a uh, I seem to always rip the damn things. Yeah, I mean they're so, so cheap. Well, they're not exactly cheap, cheap, but they're cheap. And the new pads are so much better than whatever they probably used. Yeah, um, it's like with the GameCube. Like pe- uh, people think, like, oh, I don't need to replace the pads. Sure, you don't need to, but. You're, we're dealing with technology that's like 20 years old. So yeah. remove as much heat as you can, you know, be nice yeah. to it. Hell, the Nintendo 64, I found that like some N64s, if you have crashing issues, the thermal pads are probably dry on them. So when you replace them, boom, no more crashing. Yeah, because... who would have thought <laughs> 30-year-old thermal pads? Yeah, and it's nuts to me because it's like people think, oh, it should be fine though. No. No, if we have to replace thermal paste on uh, PS4s when it dries out, what do you think a pad does? Do you think it just stays wet for eternity? Damn it. You just reminded me that I have my PS5 launch edition, like brand new, still in box, standing upright still. <laughs> uh, hopefully your APU ain't dead. <laughs> I gotta look up like which way I'm supposed to store that. Probably right, <laughs> uh, horizontally. Like, but which like way? I wonder. Like, does it matter? Um. So you're supposed to set your PS5 sideways, um, like horizontally oriented. And the reason why is because if you set it vertically, the thermal, uh, the liquid metal inside. No, I get uh, that. <clears throat> I mean. It's in the box, so like which like horizontal is the right horizontal? If that makes sense. It, oh, just it lay- shouldn't matter. All, all that really matters is that it's flat, which causes exactly. the uh, the liquid metal to uh, to pool outwards. In other words, don't then do, do not let the box- down to one edge of the chip. Yeah, do not let the I, box I feel like stand at this up. Point, I'm probably never going to open it if I haven't opened it already. <laughs> Um, I think the uh, the PS5, it's, yeah, you would just need to lay, uh, lay it down uh, with either the front or back side of it uh, on, uh, on the surface. Gotcha. So, okay, I was just making sure that it didn't matter if it was upside down or not. Cool. I'll do that before bed because it's been that way. Since I got it, <laughs> yeah. I uh, as much as I would love to say, like, oh, l- liquid metal was a good choice. No, it's a terrible choice. <laughs> it 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 it's a good, it's a decent idea, 
but I don't think it was necessary. Uh, I don't think it was a good idea to to integrate in a console. Um, there's a reason why liquid metal mainly stays in the PC realm. Yeah, it it wouldn't have been a bad choice if it had been a console that only sits one way. Yeah, you know, like like a GameCube or a, an, an original Xbox. You know, one one of those systems that never stands up on its side. Although. <laughs> no, that doesn't mean that if anyone's listening here, no, do not liquid metal your GameCube or Xbox. Not only won't uh, will it not improve anything, you run the risk of damaging it. Yeah, yeah. I mean the GameCube, like a, a light draft through your house is almost enough airflow to cool that thing. Even with a dead fan, that thing has such cool thermals anyway. So no need for anything ridiculous like liquid metal. And the X and the Xboxes, um, the original Xboxes um, heat sinks are aluminum. So if you try using liquid metal, it's going to eat that shit up. The, the GameCubes too. Yeah, the the same for the GameCube. Well, technically, the uh, the GameCube to access the die, you have to delit it. So. And that's and the dye is where you want to apply the liquid metal. I mean, either way, you, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. It's just redundant, and you run more risk of damaging something than actually improving anything. Like if if heat is really a concern for like GameCube or Xbox, you know, just get a better fan. There's not really a better fan though. <laughs> Don't get me started I, on that again. <laughs> I, I did just use those as examples of consoles that don't stand up on their side. Yes, obviously don't ever put liquid metal on them. I didn't even know there was a problem with Xbox fans. Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> don't make me say it again. I'm no. just saying, like, you know, <laughs> I, I've done fan replacements for Xboxes before. And... No. But the Delta fans, high pressure, aftermarket fans, you have to run them at least like 80% like fan speed. And if someone accidentally like changes their BIOS or does something, they could revert back to the stock speed, which will barely spin the fan. But what about Noctua? <sighs> well, you still have to run them at like 80 to like 100% for them to just equal stock. You're not really improving anything. It might just be a hair quieter. Yeah. Well, per- well, I'm gonna be uh, be honest with you. When it, uh, when it comes to like the fans, though, I do feel like it's not necessary to replace the fans unless like it's uh, it's not necessary unless the fans were like completely dead. Then yeah. uh, you don't really have a choice. We should make we should normalize loud, blowy-ass fans. Well, the thing is, though, the noise that people say that the the original Xbox has, it's not the fan. It's the goddamn hard drive. What you're hearing is the hard drive spinning, not the fan. Or the coil whine. Or the coil whine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, like, for example, the original GameCube, I always hear people say, the fan is so loud. I turn it on, I'm like, this ain't loud as shit. Like, you want a loud fan. A CPS-2 sounds like a goddamn wind tunnel. 
That's a loud fan. GameCube? Nah. No, you want a uh, loud fan, one U rack mount server gear. That's a loud fan. I've got a pair of 10 gig network switches that sound like a fucking jumbo jet. You can hear them across the office when they boot. I bet they have really good Delta fans in them, just like the Xbox. <laughs> I can imagine, like, all right, time to start up the fan. <laughs> just like fucking get, get thrown across the other side of the building. I, I kind of w- did. You see that LTT video of that big ass Delta fan they bought that was like six hundred dollars. I don't think I have yet. They like shoved like a carrot through it and it just fucking destroyed it. Oh yeah, shit! It was, like a few months ago. Is that a fan or a food processor? Jesus Christ! Yeah, it was like genuinely like scary. <laughs> Oh, uh, I need to test it. For like a six hundred dollar fan, <laughs> but uh, I need to test my uh, test my PC. Not realizing his finger is still in the fan. Oh! I mean, I could probably make like a levitating Xbox out of one of those. <laughs> uh, it would be so unnecessary, though. But an Xbox and a uh, like quadcopter. Just get like a like wireless HDMI. Thing going, and I don't know. I I personally think though that like people, okay, I'm gonna be honest. I think it's just mainly PC uh, fanatics that are so fucking worried about retro consoles overheating. Like, to point, yeah, because you see people like add heat sinks to everything, and it's like, no, that's an EEPROM chip. It doesn't need a heat sink. <laughs> like I. Like I, I'm not kidding when I say this, but like for example, I've seen people and uh, say that they are they are looking into water cooling a Nintendo GameCube. I mean, that's kind of just cool though. But it's a GameCube though. It doesn't get cool, that though. fucking hot. That'd be kind of cool though. Oh, I don't God think I've seen it. a water cooled GameCube. I've seen water cooled Xboxes and 360s, but I don't think I've seen a. I'm gonna water cool one of my PSXs. Like, here's the thing. Like, I you get just it. imagine a PSX with like big ass like heat sinks and fans on the side and like water <laughs> reservoirs and like, uh, and it's like it's like whenever I see those like Noctua uh, fan installs too. It's like. People are like, it's a quieter fan. Like, yes, but is it performing equal to spec, though? Like, it may be quieter, but is it necessarily better? That's the thing. Just because I can't hear it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that it's performing equally to the stock fan. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm just looking at my PSXs trying to figure out which one is busted up enough to water cool. Like... The, the GameCube fan works fine. The Dreamcast fan works fine. The Dreamcast one drives me insane because I hear people say that like the Dreamcast fan is loud. I'm like, bitch, I can't even hear the damn thing when I power it on. What do you do? You remember the old like Tech TV like Yoshi build where he like put like an Xbox and a PS2 and a GameCube all in like one box? We should bring that back and water cool everything. 
Like, how many consoles can you fit in one water-cooled computer? That would be interesting. I will say, though, I think part of, like, the... uh, Part of the reason why some people uh, complain about loud fans, and I've bought systems that have had loud fan written on it. The reason why they have loud fans is because as soon as you open it up, there's... Uh, there is a two-inch layer thick, a uh, thick amount of dust in the console. So it's like, hmm, I wonder why your fan is loud. It's almost like, uh, you, uh, it's almost like you don't clean your goddamn room. Oh yes, help me normalize loud fans. Loud, loud fans, good. That's my goal. Besides, not even uh, besides, not every retro console had a fan. Um, I don't think the no, the PS one did not have a fan. The N sixty four did not have a fan. I don't know why people want to stick a not to a fan in the middle of the goddamn N sixty four. That's just weird. Um, it, just, it always worries me with like RF and everything. I think like, people there has look to be at some like weird back feed. And people are just like tapping into like random voltage. Like, I remember getting, I remember getting a Sega Genesis one time. That as soon as I opened it up and removed the top RF shield, there was a thick piece of copper that was cemented. Not literally, but uh, it was basically glued to the um, the GPU. I looked at that and I was like, "Why? Why would someone do this?" I don't know. It's the same people that want the <laughs> 1.0 Xbox GPU heatsink and fan. It's like, come on, that fan is going to die. The Xbox is going to overheat gonna have dead xbox well i'm i'm gonna be honest though i look at the 1.0 fan and it's like i don't really think it's actually doing anything it's really not (laughs) (laughs) it it, it's kind of cute but at the same time it's like i think this was just more of microsoft being a little over paranoid Uh, yeah because i'll often um just run Xboxes without fans. Just, you know, like testing and stuff or just having a fan blow on it from a distance. The 1.0 won't go more than like 10, 15 minutes like that. Like a 1.6, I've accidentally just had like a desk fan blowing on it for like a couple of hours. Well, I'm actually kind of surprised though because... um. I've always wondered, like, whenever I've seen, like, people do no drive mods, which is what I, uh, which is what I call it. It's basically like when you eliminate, eliminate the hard drive and the disk drive and you just have everything running off like one compact flash card or something. Um, whenever I see like no drive mods, I'm like, I wonder if that really does anything in terms of like allowing heat to escape. 
given the fact there's less bulk. Uh, two parts to that. Uh, convection really loves, you know, open space. So, yeah, that does help. But the thing that worries me is a lot of those people remove the DVD tree, which has air guides, which direct air across the uh, little Southbridge ship. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it both uh, works with and against you. Right. Yeah, that was one of the design uh, requirements for the HDMI mod. And that's why it's like a weird shape is it has to fit around the DVD tray uh, air guard. I did not think, I did not even think about that. Uh, uh, think about that where it's like the DVD tray also acted as like a, uh, as an air pipe. Yeah. It's like a weird, like little 45 degree angle. I just thought that it was redesigned so that way it, uh, I just thought it was designed in such a way to where you can, uh, where the fan can safely sit. Not that it allowed for the, to direct the air towards the fan. Yeah. If you look, there's like a little block. I'll have to take a picture and like point it out. It's probably way too hard to explain, but yeah, it does direct airflow over the Southbridge ship. That's pretty clever. Kills two birds with one stone. Yeah. Meanwhile, yes, uh, like, oh, it's just gonna say the original HDMI mod PCB looked like a slice of pizza, and that's why it has a pineapple on it. Damn you. <laughs> um actually I need to get in contact with Mike about that one. Um I know he's used that Xbox I gave him to test uh for the <laughs> RT four K. I still feel kind of bad though, because for some strange reason, if that system is left power uh powered off for too long, it'll enter into like a coma boot for a little oh, bit, yeah. but then when you power cycle it, it's just fine. I keep meaning to reach out to Mike again. I need to do like a whole like Xbox deep dive with him, but he always has like something new on his plate. Like the last week has been that little X eighty six handheld. But yeah, he he expressed his disappointment on how it forces uh seventy hertz to operate at sixty hertz. So it's it's a DOS it's a DOS handheld that does not operate at native DOS refresh rate. Crazy. To which, when he was lamenting about that on Twitter, I kind of like slid in his DMs. I'm like, I know the way. I just presented him a thin client a link. <laughs> <laughs> they can I run almost DOS bought one of those. I almost bought one of those. And, they can run DOS at 70 hertz. I mean, granted, they're not necessarily the best option, but, you know, if you're just looking for a cheap DOS PC... Well, that's why I need to uh, port, you know, DOS to Stellar. <laughs> I have it, all the GPU, like, registers documented. I can push out any refresh rate that I want. Well, if if you do manage to do that, that's most likely what I'm going to do. Oh, my God. You actually gave me an idea. Oh, no. Yeah, if you can get DOS running on Stellar, I will turn that 
executor, that faux executor to Xbox I have in my closet into a DOS, uh, into a DOS machine. <laughs> Hopefully, that would be fun though. Hey, hey, I'm gonna uh, close the chat because it's almost been five hours. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and it's like two a.m. So <laughs> yeah, three a.m. here. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, good chat. yeah, it it was good chatting with everyone. Uh I'll probably do this again in a couple weeks. Yeah. Okay. Good to see you. Yeah, later guys. Yeah. Later.